Ladies and gentlemen, and I use that term loosely, here we are, Hot Shot Scott, episode 100, and now, it's supposed to be very special. Now the nightmares can subside for you a little bit? Is <laughs> no. I gotta, no. Okay. No, Those because st- I got nothing special except for the audience. <laughs> yeah. The audience is special. True. There's nothing. March 2nd, 1962. I'm coming right out of the gate <laughs> Whoa. With, with Stump the Band. What happened on March 2nd? 1962 hotshot Scott, who every once in a while surprises me okay. with his sports knowledge, even though he's a Cube morning show star. <laughs> so this is star is the keyword. Yes, yes. This is a sports question. I'm I, guessing. I, I'm, I'm not going to tell you. I was going to say Beatles at Shea Stadium. Well, there's a reason why I'm. Let, let's put it this way. There's okay. a reason why I'm asking you this question. Okay. March second, 1962. I'll give you a hint. Okay. It happened. In the city that mass produces chocolate in the United States of America. What city? Hershey, Pennsylvania. It happened in Hershey, Pennsylvania. <laughs> oh, boy. March 2nd, 1962. What happened? I know all of our studio audiences right now wish they were up and loud and be heard on because everybody in our audience oh. knows and you're the only one who doesn't know. So maybe you should get in the audience. You should become one of those little boxes <laughs> and somebody else should March jump in. March 2nd, 1962. That's right. No clue. Okay. In Hershey, Pennsylvania. In Hershey, Pennsylvania. In Hershey, Pennsylvania. What if I told you that there were 4,124 people there to see this? And the final score of the basketball game was the Philadelphia Warriors 169 and the New York Knickerbockers 147. Finally got it. <laughs> Is this the 100 point game? I should have known. Hershey, Pennsylvania. Why would I be asking you about March 2nd, 1962 on this show? Literally, I've been holding this. (laughs) Wow. I wanted to bring it up to J-Ham on episode zero. Right. (laughs) Okay, I have no idea why you're asking me this. Uh, You don't have any idea why I'm asking you this? On March 2nd? No, 1962? Why I'm doing it now? Yeah. Oh, hold on. (laughs) 100 episodes, Would 100 points. Would you like points. to go back out that door and come back in? Did can something we, happen? Can we dump this the <laughs> last, the <laughs> last two minutes? all over again? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, the best 100, I got you. 36 out of 63 he was from the field. 28 out of 32 from the free throw line. Now, you got to remember, he was a career 51% free throw shooter. Okay. And he shot 28 out of 32 on that night. Wow. Underhanded. No. Underhanded. Yeah, he shot him underhanded. Who was the other guy? Was it Rick Barry? Rick ba- yeah, well, Rick Barry shot him underhand and made him. 98% or yeah. something with it. <laughs> Wilt shot him underhand and didn't make him. Okay. He had 100 points. He played in every minute in the game. He had 25 rebounds, two assists. His team beat the Knicks 169-147. There's a couple of very interesting factoids from this. I'm ready. And just for our listeners who haven't gotten it yet, he scored 100 points. <laughs> yes, he did. And, and we're talking about it on... Episode, episode 100. Yes, thank you for clearing you got that it. up. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody I was that, on cue, by any, the way. Any, I was never on sports radio. Anybody who went to Eastgate State <laughs> with Hot Shot, that's for you. You that's don't right. have to raise your hand. We were the dumbing of America. He scored 41. You tell me, you ring the bell when you, when you hear something interesting. He scored 41 in the first half, okay? He turns around with 28 in the third and 31 in the fourth. So he scores 59 Jeez. in the second half. The Knicks had three guys, the other team, that scored 39, 33, and 31. So those three guys did outscore him 103 to 100. <laughs> three guys to one. That's right. And everybody has, who has written about this in subsequent years has talked about how the Knicks starting center, the guy who was supposed to guard him, was, did not play oh, in the game. I was going to ask, who was guarding him? 
Well, it was not the guy that was supposed to. <laughs> the guy who was supposed to guard him was a guy by the name of Phil Jordan, and he was a late scratch. Phil Jordan. Okay. And as legend goes, he was hung over. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> by the way, Phil Jordan was probably 6'7 uh, as the starting center. He wouldn't have mattered anyway, probably. I can see a little picture of Wilt holding a little oh, sign that says 100. Is that, does that exist? A picture of yeah, him? Yeah. Okay, yeah I can In fact, it. the guy who wrote the story actually was talking to Wilt, and they wanted a picture of him. And he didn't have, there was nothing that differentiated the picture. So he, the guy who wrote the story actually wrote the 100 on a big piece of paper and gave it to him. Oh, to hold this. And he wasn't real thrilled about it. Who wasn't thrilled? Wilt? Wilt didn't really want to hold the picture. And the other funny thing about this, we've talked enough about it, I'm sure, but <laughs> there's, st- there's still controversy over where the ball is. There's like three different oh. people say they have the ball. There was a guy, the, the guy that I'm rooting for that I hope has the ball, or I don't know that he has it anymore. There was a 14-year-old kid in Hershey, Pennsylvania, who raced down to the court and grabbed the ball and then ran out and they were chasing him down the street. <laughs> I hope he has He it too. claims <laughs> that that's the game ball. Now, others differentiate or disagree with that story. They say the ball was taken out of play and it was given to him, whatever, but... There's some there's some controversy over who's got the ball. In an NBA game, they don't just use one. I mean, do they just use one ball or do they mix them up? Or how many are used in an NBA game? I can't I think even, one. Just one ball. I think huh. typically just one. This isn't a baseball game. They're not fouling pitches off. Well, I know, but, you know, yeah. went up in the stands or something. I don't know. Well, welcome to episode 100, Hot Shot Scott. Thank Here we are. Thank you for having me. Wilt Chamberlain, by the way, didn't he, wasn't he outraged he wasn't selected for the Dream Team? Do you remember that story? In for the ni- Dream Team? In 92. Was he still alive in 92? He was still alive, was. but he was really upset that they didn't even consider him. Talk about a guy just having trouble with where you are in life. I, remember, I didn't know that. I don't know I that I remember story. reading that. He was like upset. Somebody can. In 1992. In ni- it was like 91 when they, when they picked well, the Dream like Team. 65 years yeah, old. exactly. You never thought of me, the greatest player oh of all time. Oh, my God. <laughs> all 100 episodes of Mitch Unfiltered can be heard on all podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Google. Just hit the subscribe button. We would be completely indebted to those of you that are kind enough to post a rating and a review. You can throw a five-star rating for us and say some nice words. If you don't think that we are worthy of a five-star rating, then just lie and give us a five-star rating. (laughs) Uh, Patron shows are still coming every Thursday. We have a handful of patrons here with us on uh, on Zoom, our studio audience. We're going to hear from them in a few moments. And I just want you to know, five bucks a month to become a patron. Aventi Mocha. Frappuccino, a venti mocha frappuccino at Starbucks. I just want to know four dollars and ninety five cents. How long did it take you to even know what that is? I still, s- I still don't know what that is. <laughs> I know as much about the venti mocha frappuccino yeah, yeah. as you know about M- March second, nineteen sixty two. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I found out that it's four dollars and ninety five cents. Yes, I don't drink any of those fancy. I know drinks. that's why it made me laugh. You have no idea what that is. I have no Spouting idea. Spouting off that nonsense. Is. Do you know what it is? Oh, they're delicious. I don't drink them anymore, but they're great. Every really? Time, oh, it's like a it's like a milkshake. So why don't you? Oh, is that why you don't drink it? Yeah, it's just you're watching your figure. Packed the ACDC. With sugar. Why am I wearing Issaquah and you're watching ACD? You're wearing ACDC. Why am I wearing the Issaquah High School? Isn't this the Issaquah High School? It is. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Purple and gold because. When the football yes, program baby. first started at Issaquah, they didn't have any money, so the UW donated all their old stuff to Issaquah, and that's why they're purple and gold now, just like UW. How oh, about I that? I didn't know that. It's uh, a little bit go. of Issaquah High School trivia. Huh? Yes, it is. Why are you wearing ACDC? Because well, it's the one shirt you could find that was clean, or is it not clean? Mostly that. <laughs> but um, 
Beavis and Butthead is being rebooted. And so this is my ode to Beavis and Butthead. I, I'm so excited that that show's coming back. Because one of them were ACDC. Are you so. excited about episode 100? I am. But the question everyone's asking is, are we yeah. gonna, what are we going to do with the numbering of you know, episode zero, or zero? Let's hope somebody scored 101 points because I just got the 100. <laughs> I mean, it, well, actually, the truth is, I don't think somebody who's, who remembers the beginning of, of Mitch Unfiltered, maybe even better than I do, some of the listeners might remember, I don't think we even started numbering and, and naming episodes after people's jersey numbers until like 13, 14, 15. I think the first like 10 or 12 shows, oh. we, didn't, we didn't think of the idea. That wasn't your plan. And a lot of people would say, thank God they didn't think of the idea. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. a lot of people don't like us numbering the episodes. That's a, that's a controversial element. Oh, is mission. it? Yeah. Some people don't want us to do that. Because it's boring? Yeah, or? it's boring. They oh. want other stuff. Oh, all right. No. Well, I was hoping it would be Benoit Benjamin. Episode Benoit <laughs> zero, zero. Was he zero or zero, zero? Benoit. Oh, zero, zero. Was he? He was like Kevin Duckworth. Duckworth zero, was zero. zero. Old yeah. Polonese. What, uh, zero, zero? I thought he was zero. No, I had a bet with Golden Pelonies. Yeah, what was that? I think I was yeah. there for that. Yeah, I got, th- I got, that's another trouble, troublemaker that I was. Yeah. Sonics were not happy with me. I don't think Wally Walker was happy with me if he was the GM at the time or the president at the time. So Olden Pelonies, I think he played twice with the Sonics. Somebody can check me out on that. I think he might have been traded for Pippen, if I'm not mistaken. He might have been part of the Pippen deal This in would have been when he came back. I think he came back okay. to the team in later years. Okay. He came on the show right on the day that he signed. We were doing them. I was being all silly. And I looked at his stats, and I think he had come from Utah, I think, okay. at the time, or Sacramento. And he had shot something like, I don't know, 45 50% from the free throw line. I was like, 45 to 50% from the free throw Are you out of your mind? What? You can't shoot better than 45 <laughs> And he got all defensive, and he said, my free throw shooting is much better. I've been practicing it all off season. I'm telling you right now, I'm going to shoot 75% from the free throw line. I go, where can I get a piece of action on that? Yeah, right. <laughs> and he was like, come on, let's go. Let's bet. So we bet. I think it was $10,000 for charity, if oh, I wow. recall correctly. Wow. I, I said, there's right. no way you're going to shoot 75%. Yeah. And I don't even know what the numbers and what the bet was, but it was for a lot of money. And the Sonics were listening. They were upstairs oh. at the time. They were listening. I'm, I'm putting pressure on Olden Polynes now. And he went out and he just, he was not good. <laughs> it wasn't 75. And I was teasing him the whole year. Oh, jeez. And, and he didn't, I think it might have been 25000 for charity. And then he, he only played either that year. I think he only played that year and then he went somewhere else again. The year was 1999. He played one year for one the Sonics year. in 99. Then he went somewhere else yes. after? Yeah, yeah. He's been to a lot of places And he since. didn't pay. <laughs> so I start, I start hounding him. I'm calling. I'm calling. And I catch oh, him. Oh, no. A, so so God, Wally, Wally was in. I don't even know how we got on this subject. Zero, zero. Zero, yeah. Anyway, while he was, uh, I think, in Utah, okay. or wherever he was next. He was in Utah. Okay. So then he came back to to play the Sonics the next year, and I still hadn't gotten my money. Oh, jeez. Well, I knew where the Jazz were staying. Oh, the little black book. Yeah, the little black book. <laughs> that tells you every time. <laughs> in the midst of all this, you got to remember, you're going to remember this. Okay. After he left the Sonics, Olden Polonies, and he went to Utah, he was, he was found to be impersonating a police officer. Do you have any recall? Yes. I remember that. A recollection that of said, that? Yeah. Yeah, he was in, got in trouble for got it. Got in trouble for it. Yeah, yeah. He was pulling people over. <laughs> right. <laughs> so weird. I don't even know what he was doing. I, I guess How, like, though? Did he buy a little light for his car? How would you know. do it? Uh, and here comes a seven-footer to your window yeah, right. pulling you over. <laughs> but he, he got in trouble for, for impersonating a police officer. Yeah. So when he came back to town to play the Sonics the year after the bet, which he had lost and had not paid. Yeah. 
I had sent letters and so forth. Oh, this geez. is like Michael Vick. Michael Vick owed me a signing bonus. I did the same thing. Anyway, I couldn't get through to him. I knew what hotel he was staying in. Live on the morning show, I called the hotel and asked for his room, and he was listed under Olden Paul. No one's ever called to ask for Olden Paul, and he says, that's why he doesn't use an alias. And so the thing rings through, and it's like freaking 8 o'clock in the morning, so yeah, yeah. you can expect they had gotten in late the night before. A little groggy. And I hear, hello. <laughs> and I go, I go, Officer Polonese? <laughs> and he goes, yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and, and right then and there, he started to realize, uh-oh, I'm being... Yeah, I'm totally being had right now. And yeah. I said, it's Mitch. Your old pal. Where's my money? Yeah. Where, where's the money for the Make-A-Wish Foundation? Ugh. So to his credit, the next time they came into town, he presented a check. Is he that did, right? He, he finally did, paid it he off. He paid it off. No way. He paid it off. Who did he pre- To you? Did he come no, in? No, no, no. I don't, I don't even think I was involved. I don't even think it was at the game. I, he just came to the game and he gave a check to the Sonics organization. Hey, this is for Make-A-Wish. It was for charity. Well, so whatever charity I had chosen at the time. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't Max's College Fund. Yeah, you wish it was, I, though. I'm, I'm looking at Max's College Fund and Olden Polynesian's money's not in it right now. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he did pay. Well, he's a good man for finally yeah. paying. Good for him. Episode 100. We're getting ready to start it. Uh, Zeke Fox is, is, is going to be guest number one. Business Week magazine. Now, you're asking me, who is Zeke Fox? We're going to lead off with segment number one, interview segment number one, with a story that has to end up on the big screen somehow, some way. You alerted me of the story. Oh, okay. A 5,000-word piece in Business Week magazine about Sean Murphy, a Patriots fan, and a Saturday night cat burglar in Lynn, Massachusetts. Crazy story. Who decided that when the Giants beat the Patriots, remember David Tyree. Oh, yeah, on his head, the helmet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they were undefeated. The Patriots were undefeated at yeah. the time. They're going after the 72 Dolphins. And your boy caught the winning touchdown who shot himself in the leg. What was his oh, name? Burris? No. Plaxico. Plaxico. I think Burris. Plaxico got the winning catch from winning. Eli Manning. Yep. Anyway, this guy was watching that Super Bowl. Sean Murphy, this cat burglar in Lynn, Massachusetts, and he was pissed. Yeah. And he spent Saturday nights breaking into pharmacies, getting drugs and whatever, and selling them. And that's what he, he had another job, but his Saturday night hobby was he was a cat burglar. And I guess Lynn, Massachusetts, suburb of Boston, was known for this kind of activity. Okay. Well, he watched the Super Bowl. He's a big Patriots fan. They lost. He was pissed. Mm-hmm. He decided the Giants didn't deserve the world championship. <laughs> right. Well, as it turns out... I thought that way, too. The, the, <laughs> the Giants in New York commissioned a little jeweler in New England, of all places, right. to make the gaudy Super Bowl rings. And he thought, oh, and he got a hold of the place. He said, oh, that's it. And he stole them. <laughs> he stole them. Now... That that's just the beginning of the story. This is this segment. You're going to love this story. This the author is going to tell you the story of Business Week. He stole 27 New York Giants championship rings, including Eli Manning's and Michael Strahan's. He he got away with it at least for a time being, and then he decided, you know what? I'm really good at this. I'm going to steal 80 million dollars out of a Brinks Depot in Columbus, Ohio. I I kid you not. I kid you not. And and this is the story we're gonna we're gonna tell you the story of this New England Patriots fan who's now in a Massachusetts State Penitentiary, as you would imagine, <laughs> as you would imagine, who stole yeah. twenty-seven championship rings because he decided the Giants didn't deserve the championship. Well, if there's any Great Seahawks story. fans on this call, we, we've all been there. We all felt that same way with when that pick was thrown by Russell oh Wilson. The Patriots didn't did anybody? Did any of us? <laughs> 
<laughs> Did anybody steal the, the, the Patriots Super Bowl rings? Well, if we should have. If they were made in Seattle, I, I oh definitely would have thought about it. They didn't deserve them. So he's uh, interview number one. Interview number two. Uh, one of the most despised owners in professional sports is about to finally lose a battle that he's been fighting for years and years. Dan Snyder, owner of the Washington Redskins, it looks like he's going to have to change the name of the Redskins, finally. Ben Standig of The Athletic is going to tell us that story. Here's the kicker to Ben Standig. So he joins us from Washington, D.C. Unknowingly, he throws this haymaker at me. All right. Thanks for having me. I want you to know that I once won from you a trip to Phoenix, Arizona to watch a slam dunk contest. I'm like, what? Really? He says, when you were a producer of the James Brown show in D.C., <laughs> I was a caller, <laughs> Wow! and I sent this guy to Phoenix, Arizona. I said, what was the contest? He said, I don't remember the name of the contest. People here will, will find this funny. I don't remember the name of the contest, but you played a short little clip of a famous personality. And you asked us to name, to try to figure out who, who it was like a who am I when you played the oh, clip yeah, on yeah, the radio. Sure. I was like, yeah, I brought that to Seattle. <laughs> yeah, that sounded familiar. It was called the Mystery Celebrity Voice here in Seattle. Mystery Celebrity Voice. That's yes. the origin of it. He was the wow. first winner of it in Washington, D.C. Then we, I came to, to Seattle and we were having a meeting one day. And we're like, we need a contest, a station-wide contest that we can string along for a few weeks. And I said, hey, how about if we take a little sound clip? Of a famous sports personality, we play it and we, we dare people to try to figure out who it is. That's where I got it from. I stole it from our and I think from the DC street. The longer the contest went on, the more that we let out right, of it, right? right? Yeah, I remember being that's part right, of it. I was right. deep throwing at one right. point. You were? I was, yes. <laughs> to say whether that was correct or incorrect. <laughs> anyway, Ben Standing of The Athletic will tell us the Washington Redskin name-changing story. And then you're probably not too familiar with the name Bryson DeChambeau, or do you know the name Bryson DeChambeau? Does that mean Does it mean anything to you? Ever no. read it? No. DeChambeau, no. No. He's the talk of the golf world right now. Okay. He intentionally, during the pandemic gained 40 pounds, 20 pounds of muscle. He went, Oh, he came out after the pandemic and he just looked like the incredible Hulk. <laughs> really? And he's just, just bombing, just bombing the ball f longer and further than anybody can hit it. He's changed wow. the game of golf. He's already won since they restarted. He's kind of a controversial figure. People are like, okay, how did he put that weight on? Uh -oh. He's also kind of a know-it-all. He got into a fight with a cameraman. He's kind of one of these polarizing figures that, okay. that actually the, the world of golf needs. So Bryson DeChambeau is a subject, and I wanted to talk to veteran golf writer John Hawkins, who's my favorite. I think he's the most colorful, colorful writer of golf in all of America. He and I are going to talk about Bryson DeChambeau on this episode 100. So this guy, this Bryson DeChambeau, he can yes. crush it further than everyone, but he right. also clearly has a short game and he can putt and everything because he's winning. You see. Right. He, That's he, impressive. He's the mad scientist of golf. Okay. He does things his way. He's he's decided he's gotten into the the analysis and the data and the numbers oh. and the it, I'll give you one example. Every one of his clubs is the same size. Normally a pitching wedge is shorter okay. than a driver. Every one of his clubs is the same size cuz he's figured it out. He's 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 figured out the the angles <laughs> of all of these things. Right. Very smart. Just That's, ask him. He's very, very smart about this. Gotcha. Yeah. That's Bryson DeChambeau. Great. All right? Can't wait. Episode 100. So here it is, Hot Shot. Episode 100. This journey just not possible without my partners. And I sure hope that all of you will look for reasons and opportunities to support them. Like Daniel's Broiler. Les Shy is now open. South Lake Union. 
open. Daniel's Bellevue at the top of Bellevue Place is now open. All of them taking enormous precautions to make certain it is a completely safe and enjoyable evening. It's time to catch up on those celebrations that we lost thanks to COVID, graduations, anniversaries, birthdays, Daniel's Broiler World-Class Steakhouses. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Thank you, Jordan. Call 425-250-3150. Low interest rates. The selling market is much hotter than you'd think. You'd be crazy not to at least take a look at refinancing your home. This is the silver lining of this bump in the economy. 30-year fixeds in the high twos and low threes. Jordan Flowers in the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Evergreen Golf Call. Thank you, Tyler. Decent week on Wall Street. This is a crucial time financially, and decisions that your family makes right now will have major ramifications in the future. CEO Tyler Hay and I chatted on Friday morning. You'll hear part of that conversation on this show. Check out the website, evergreengk.com, and sign up for their fine newsletter, which is free. And Zeke's Pizza, thank you, Dan. All 17 locations are open. 50% maximum capacity inside and outside seating. President Dan Black will be back with us here on episode 100, reminding you that you can have a lot more than pizza delivered to your door. Craft beer growlers, download the Zeke's Pizza app like I did. Zeke's Pizza delivers homegrown in the Northwest. Here we go. Episode 100 begins right now unfiltered what does it look like if football is so important that we've got college campuses around the country they are ghost towns no kids no classes no dorms nobody allowed on campus but okay we'll play football every saturday (laughs) unfiltered here's what i would say about hamilton very, very few things can live up to the hype. I don't know how it LeBron can LeBron James somehow lived up to the hype. Yeah. Tiger Woods won three U.S. Amateurs. They said about him at age 14 that he was going to be the world's greatest thing, and he lived up to the hype. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode Hot Shot Scott, episode... 100 starts now. Before we get into the origin of the podcast and how you're feeling about the 100 episodes, I, yeah. I got a quick PSA for you and the listeners. A PSA? There's We're going to start with the PSA. There's a new leader in the time-wasting app Clubhouse for me. I discovered this app <laughs> a few days ago, and I can't stop. <laughs> okay. It's been out for a month. Okay. It's called Trivia Royale. Oh, I don't know that. Well, it's been out for a month. Of course you don't know. Okay. And you listen to Barry Manilow still. I mean, <laughs> He's only been out for a month. By the way, I watched an old Carson and he was on. He did two numbers. He was two. Yeah. That's because he's special. Only the only the greatest. <laughs> That's right. Only the greatest, only get, the greatest two. get two yeah. two shots. There's been two million downloads in the first 10 days of this. Okay. It's awesome. Now, it's just trivia questions? So here's how it works. Okay. It's called Trivia Royale. So when you start out, there's a thousand people that play at the same time. Okay. Not clear if it's real people, probably a lot of bots, but whatever, okay. a thousand people. Okay. You get paired off with someone, you each get asked five questions. Whoever wins moves on, and the, the other person who loses is eliminated. Now we're down to 500 people, and you get paired up with someone else. You're down to 250, 125, and you keep going until there's one person. It's out like of the, the NCAA left. basketball tournament of trivia. Is it a sports or no? It's everything. 
It's everything. And it's like, you can of, pick what you want or no, it's got to be everything. Well, in the battle royale with a thousand people, you don't get to pick what it is. Okay. But then you can go play one on one with somebody off to the side and pick okay. your category. Okay. And do these games start at a certain time or do they just keep starting? Anytime over you want to start. That's pretty cool. Anytime you want to play. I think I'm in. Which makes Can me you take on the rest of the show while I go play? <laughs> it's really fun. But I don't want anyone to come after me when your wife's mad at you for playing too much because it's awesome. Oh, really? Especially if you're. Well, maybe you can get them in, involved, get the, get the folks involved. Like my, my wife? Yeah. I mean, she's not really into games and <laughs> wasting time okay. and all that. Yeah, okay. it's a bad she's look. Busy. So there you go. It's awesome. Trivia, trivia Royale. R-O-Y-A-L-E. Sounds like I'm doing an ad Download. Form. I'm really not. I'll download Trivia Royale. It's pretty damn Do you fun. win anything if you win? Well, it's a great question. Oh, thank you. I ask if, great questions, you know. <laughs> that's what I hear. <laughs> my whole life, I got to hear that shit. If you win, you get a crown to show that you're yeah. a, a king or a queen. Yeah. And there's a secret royalty lounge that only people who have a crown get to get into. I don't know what's in the lounge, but I can't wait to unlock it. I've never won. 12th is my highest that I finished. The fact that you finished 12th tells me there were only like 13 people in it. No, it's always 1,000. Sometimes it's 994. You finished 12th. Well, it might be me and my daughter and my wife at the same time. <laughs> Some poor 13-year-old doesn't know what they're up against. Three of us uh, going at them. All right, episode 100. Episode 100. Now, for the first segment, I thought we'd just talk about the show a little bit. I got a ton of emails that I think you'll be interested in. I think oh. our listeners will be interested in. We can go to those things. I thought we would reserve, because there's not a lot of sports going on. We really should talk about Quentin Dunbar. I got that whole. And the other, so we'll yeah. leave the kind of the sportsy sports stuff for the last segment. The other okay. stuff. Plus, I got three pretty good interviews. I think you'll love the interview with the writer from Business Week about the cat burglar in Lynn, Massachusetts. I think you'll love, if you, if you give that a chance, I think you'll love that story. Great storytelling on episode 100. And I've got a list of all these emails. You just, but I'm kind of throwing the ball to yeah. you how do you want to do this well i just wanted to we haven't really touched base since i interviewed you last time about how yeah, you're feeling a long time ago when was that i was trying to think when you first started i think was it when i first started yeah i remember throwing the idea out which to you. seems like a long long time ago <laughs> i threw the idea out to you just hoping you'd never go with it <laughs> next thing i know i gotta interview you it's like when i got my wife an engagement ring i was like well i got like five years yeah no, no, I sure didn't have five years. <laughs> She's buying magazines. This is happening. So so after the first episode, after oh. the, you did the first episode, not not the test one, but the yeah. one, the official yeah. one. Episode one. Yes. Yeah. That you yeah. told everyone to go back and listen to if they haven't yeah. already. Yeah. And it's I, it, really an important show. And if I remember if correctly. We, we want to quit the laughing. Be, before you decided to move on with the podcast, you let your family listen to it so they could sort of sign off on the idea of a podcast? <sighs> well. Is that how that works? It's kind of a long story, and I don't want to violate uh, any kind of Levy sure. business um, uh, discussions, but it's a, actually a longer story than just an answer to that question. Okay. When the KJR career came to an end, I had no intentions of any of this. Right. No. I, I, my intention was trying to earn back the trust of my loved ones, my family. Start with that. Working mm -hmm. on myself, going to therapy. I'm still in a lot of therapy and just trying to tackle some things that have been kind of sad in my heart for a long time and try to get better and then figure out what I want to do with the rest of my life. I figured, shit, I, I'd done 25 years at KJR, just about 22, yeah. 23 years. I'd done another three or f two or three years in, in, in D.C. that I had done enough. And I was on morning radio. I mean, you know, sports morning radio, sports show, radio shows, sports radio morning shows, they don't last very long. They last typically a year, a year and a half, and then they keep rotating. It's really difficult. Yeah. I did the morning show for 21 years. Yeah. I figured it was time for somebody else anyway. And I would have not liked to have ended the way I ended. Sure. But I was done. Okay. 
And I got onto Twitter a little bit, and immediately upon getting onto Twitter, there was just a lot of fist pounding by our old listeners and the people that followed me. And I started getting, you know, little emails here and there and so forth. And I got the feeling that there was this desire for me to be back in some way, shape, or form. But I didn't know anything about this. Yeah. (laughs) And so we started this in November of, I guess it would have been 2018. November of 18. Okay. Right. Right. That's right. The last KJR day was in August, September of 2017. So it was it was about 14 months later that we started this show. Okay. And when I figured out, okay, I'll I'll give it a go and see if anybody wants to hear me and I'll try to do this. I'll try to learn about this. I spoke to my family about it and I told them, look, I can't do a podcast without the first show being about me and about what what I what I went through, what happened, my apologies, my how I feel in my heart. And my family was concerned about that. Okay. They didn't really want that on on, you know, podcast radio Public display. Right. They yeah. didn't really want me doing interviews. I had been asked to do all the TV stations in town and yeah. radio stations. Town. Everybody wanted to do the the interview right, with right, Mitch. Right. The right? Get. And I was never going to do that. Did, you, did so, you say no to all of those? By said, the way? No, I never did. I only, I, I only did one. And that was BJ Shea's show. But right. that's a long story. But I decided, yeah, no newspaper. The wow. newspapers called and the TVs. I, they, we were not doing that. Gotcha. And I said, but I have to do this. And so we talked a lot about it. Okay. And my family was really concerned. You have two little, little, not little boys anymore, but I have two young sons and we didn't want to embarrass them more than I'd already embarrassed them. And I said, I can't do the podcast. I'm not doing a podcast without doing that. So either I'm not doing the podcast or I'm doing that show. And after a lot, a lot of soul searching and talking with Jason Hamilton behind the scenes, and we decided to record it. Okay. And I said to my wife and my boys, I want you guys to listen to it before we release it. If you don't want me to release it, I won't. And we won't do it. If you're okay with it. So they sat right in these two chairs, the huh. two boys. My wife had me send it to her family. She wanted her family to hear it because she was kind of a little nervous about listening to it herself. And after a lot of that, yeah. the boys turned to me and said, Dad, we're proud of you. Go to it. I mean, it was a, I mean, you've heard that show. Yeah. It was not an easy show to do. That was raw. And it was very raw. Yeah. And I hope that anybody who's listening to this, episode 100, who hasn't yet listened to number one, it's like 45 minutes long, no guests. It's just my story and my apologies and my what was in my heart at the time and so so that's that's how that came to be so did i just answer your question or not that was a long answer yeah no but i'm just kind of trying to refresh everyone in case they don't remember sort of how that what the genesis was of the podcast that's right it was nice of you to clear it with your family and you know you you definitely were prepared to walk away if i was walking away because i was not going to do the podcast without that episode number one i just didn't think it was right i didn't think it was fair i didn't think it was fair to every now there's a lot of listeners who might say mitch you didn't have to do number a lot of i got that number one episode I'm telling you, I've gotten thousands of emails and notes wow. about that show, about it helping other people, and thank you for that, and I love that. I love that you did that. Others said, "Why did you do that? You didn't have to do that. Yeah. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't feel like we were owed an explanation." So there was some debate over whether it was, but I felt like if I if I could tell my story as hard as it was to tell, and if you listen to it, you can tell how hard it was for me to yeah. tell the story. I just figured 
geez, there's got to be other people that are struggling a little bit the way I was struggling to find my way in life. And I found out through emails that it really helped a lot of people, so they said. So I got a lot of notes saying, hey, thank you. I've been feeling the same way, and I've since reached out to those people and so on. What Was the original plan, or was it originally to be some non-sports stuff? Because, you know, occasionally yes. that, that was from the beginning? From the beginning. And do you think From that- the beginning, I wanted to do, I didn't know we were going to be in a pandemic a year and a half later. Oh. <laughs> And there was going to be no sports. Yeah, yeah. But yes, if I was going to do this, I was going to do it a certain way. It was going to be mostly sports, but it was going to be some non-sports and stuff that I was just interested in. And I always wanted to do that. So I did it. And you occasionally do some mental health type stories about people who may be struggling or some right. sorts. And do you think that's based upon kind of what you went through and your little recovery? Bit, yeah. and a little bit. Maybe yeah. you're a little more interested in that now because yeah. you've sort of gone through a little no bit of that. No question about that. Yeah. I mean, there's a story that came out, not to bum everybody out, but on Sunday, there's a story of uh, Elvis Presley's grandson took his own life at 27. Saw it. See the picture of him? Looks like Elvis Presley, oh right? Oh my God. It's crazy. 27 years old though. 27 years old. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, I'm not trying to bum everyone out. So. Well, you already did. Thanks very much. <laughs> so. Last time we talked about radio, going back to radio, you told me you have no desire to do a daily show. That was six months ago, maybe. Right. You just, you don't see yourself doing a daily radio show. I don't show. know that I could do it anymore. Couldn't do it how? Like physically couldn't just do too it? too much. Just too much. Too much pressure? Too much no, preparation? Uh, well, yeah, too much. I mean, these shows, we do two a, we do two a week and I yeah. have my hands full coming up. With, well, I guess we're in a pandemic and there's no, no sports going on. <laughs> yeah, I like this. Okay. I like this. Whatever this is... I'm enjoying it more than I did the, the radio show, especially in the last few years. I didn't really enjoy my job the last few years for a lot of reasons, okay. which I won't bore you with. Yeah. I didn't love my performance. I didn't love the way the show sounded. I didn't love me. I, I, I wasn't happy going to work. I wasn't happy getting up at four o'clock in the morning. Oh, yeah. The last few years, it was a real grind at KJR, and I wasn't loving myself and loving mm. it, and I was really hard on myself. I'm having fun doing this. Good. Well, do, you, do you see any... If I could just find a co-host... <laughs> get rid of the weak link of the goddamn show. <laughs> get rid of that dead weight that shows up just twice find a, day. a guy wearing an ACDC right. shirt. Yes. So I'm enjoying this, whatever the, this is. Does the two episodes a week, does that feel enough? Does that feel right? Is yes. It, you won't think about maybe doing more? More podcasts? Yeah, maybe... Well, let's see when the when sports start happening again. Okay. But we do such long ones. Yeah. We, we do. I mean, these shows are two, two and a half hours long. It's taking people all week to listen to these things. I feel like we're giving people as much as they want when we give. I mean, there, I'm sure there's a small section of people that want more. But for the most part, if we're going to do two and a half hour, two hours and 45 minute shows. Yeah. How many of these things are we are really people going to sit down and listen to four of these things a week? I like that you picture people sitting down by a fire listening to the show. People what is are, it? It's a the... fireside chat. <laughs> yes, it is. It's like Phil Mickelson. I listen to more podcasts when I do yard work and I'm driving and yeah. sitting down listening. Yeah. All right. So you feel like you're in a, a good place with I, the podcast. And... I, well, I like what I'm doing. I okay. don't know that I'm in a good place with the podcast. I love my partners, my sponsors. They seem to be enjoying the affiliation and the connection with the podcast, it seems like the group like that's on Twitter or that not Twitter, that's on um, Zoom right now that's with us. It seems like the patrons really, really like it. If people are enjoy- as long as people are enjoying it and they're listening to it and I'm enjoying doing it, then we'll continue to do it. But like Forrest Gump, when he ran <laughs> yeah. at some point, it'll be obvious to me that it's time to stop and I'll stop. 
but right. now I'm I'm enjoying creating the content, and I and I guess people, for the most part, despite some of these emails, oh. are enjoying listening to the. Pro- well, that's probably a nice segue to get to some of these emails that are going to rip me a new one. So I guess we should maybe get. Okay, into well that. I can read a. How many of these you want before we go? We can listen to some of the Zoom people and have, see what they have to say uh, about. Give, give me a couple a couple highlights. One that rips me, and one that rips you. <laughs> if you can find one that rips you, well, I don't know. <laughs> look it's not hard. <laughs> Uh, Well, I'll just read a few of these. I'll just bust through a few of these, see what you think. Hey, Mitch, first time emailer. The Andy Bennis interview on 99 was all world. Love the trip down 1995 memory lane, uh, followed by his sobering story of nearly losing his family. Paul in Tacoma. It was great. We haven't even talked about that. I love that episode. Well, here's another one. Mitch just finished the Andy Bennis chat on 99. Thanks for giving him the opportunity to talk about his flaws. Resonated with me in a deep way. Signed, Frank. Hey, Mitch. More new Heisel. Offseason is even better because you guys just let it fly. Awesome. The story of hanging up on Chuck Knoll was so funny. You guys have an amazing chemistry, and you can tell how much he likes you, signed Tory. The Andy Bennis thing, when he said that he had to give himself a grade as to what kind of husband and father he was, and then his, it was his, his wife. His wife. Well, well, but who asked the? Who was asking the, the friend? Right, the friend. He gave himself a five on a scale it's from like one to ten, five or and she gave him a negative number. She said, "Can I use a negative number?" Yeah, I thought that's the kind of family man and husband you are right now. Right. I mean, imagine how devastating that would be. Devastating. And she, when she said, "Everybody seems to love you. All the Padre fans and everyone, you know, baseball yeah. fans love you, but yeah. you're kind of messing up right here." That was. That took a big man to admit that. Dear Mitch, the Andy Bennis interview belongs on the next Best of Show. Wow, used to think he seemed like a boring guy. We all walk with a limp, don't we? Um, No signature on that one. Hi, Mitch. Patron here. 99P was classic. Joel Damon, great both times he's been on, and I don't even like golf. His wife should have let him go after the White Claw record. Joel Damon (laughs) of the PGA Tour. Mitch. Thank you for your show. I look forward to both episodes each week, and I even listen to the golf interviews, even though I don't enjoy golf. You have a gift for making even a niche topic interesting, but this email is not about you. At first, I wasn't thrilled with Scott as your pod partner, and even after 30 or 40 shows with him, while I recognized that the two of you had good chemistry, I still preferred Jason Hamilton. That's nice. But lately, I've begun to really look forward to his end of pod shtick <laughs> with the often terrible one-liners. <laughs> I imagine a rim shot after each one. And now if I had the choice between Hamilton and Scott, I think I'd stick with Scott. So you're better than the stage show Hamilton. I was say, every Hamilton in your life you're obsessed with. I'm sure, I'm sure you'll remember the Seinfeld episode when George describes himself as being like a commercial jingle. First, it's a little irritating. Then you hear it a few times and you're humming it in the shower. And by the third date, it's by Menon Costanza. Uh, that's what Scott is. Anyway, thanks to you both. Signed, Marty. Like many radio people before me have said, I grow on you like a bad rash. <laughs> that's, that's how I've been described. One that you worked for, right? Yes. A the, bad fungus? Yes. Like, grow on you like a bad fungus. Hey, Mitch, congrats on 100. Any way we can do the next 100 without Scott? <laughs> The guy who wrote that he's barely tolerable was giving him way too much credit. MU should be an HSFZ. And I know exactly what that means. I don't know why. Roy in Portland says, Mitch Unfiltered should be a hotshot-free zone. (laughs) 
Roy in Portland. Uh, hey, Mitch, just want to say 99P was great. Always love the golf interviews. And Joel Damon seemed to be a funny kid who's de- doing really well, by the way. Levy Hex. He shot about 100 both days in this, this week's tournament yeah. since I was on with I him. I happened to see the mean tweets he was getting, he was getting from people. Uh, not good. Yeah. From listening for many, many years, I like the chemistry that you have with Scott. It's a really good pairing, probably better than your sidekicks over the years on radio, although I really like J.M. on the original podcast. Keep it up. Great podcast. I listen to four-plus podcasts a week. No more radio for me. Signed, Dean Barker. That's nice. Say thank you to Dean Barker. Thank you, Dean, for coming to my defense. Here's a good one. Makes one of them. Here's a... <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I heard another one. He didn't write twice. I heard another one at the beginning. Uh, all right. This is a good one. I only focus on the bad you ones. You like this one? No. Hey, Mitch. KJR getting rid of you was the best move they ever made. But they probably did it for the wrong reasons. All right. Which way do you think this is going to go? Is this a pro-Mitch or an anti-Mitch? Well, when he first came out with getting rid of you, yes, means he's a big KJR fan and he loves the morning show now. But right. now I'm not so sure after hearing about the wrong reasons. What does that mean? KJR getting rid of you was the best move they ever made, but they probably did it for the wrong reasons. Everyone falls and makes mistakes. I heart should have disciplined you and then stood by your side and helped you as a 20 plus year employee. Okay. However, here we go. Your stick was tired and uninteresting for several years. <laughs> so not sure why they let it go to that point. <laughs> Chuck and Buck is a breath of fresh air oh. and exactly what this town needed. Signed Phil in Redmond. Is that a, I'm trying to figure out whether that's a good, that's a pro-Mitch or an anti-Mitch email. I think it's 60% anti, 40% pro. <laughs> but the thing I love is that he doesn't care, for, he didn't care for you on the radio last year. He's compelled to tell you that? He's compelled to find your email address and, and you're email surprised you? by this? I guess. Uh, plenty Mitch, of things I don't like. I don't email them. Mitch, all these people that write in about Jason Hamilton need to get their hearing checked. <laughs> It was so obvious that he was uninterested half the time. As obvious as the nose on your face. <laughs> I love it. Sorry I had to in parentheses. <laughs> Don't be sorry. Hot shot is awesome. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Plays off of you perfectly and seems genuinely entertained by you, which is more than the rest of us can say. <laughs> this guy can't stop. He's like, he's running And he writes in parentheses, cue the rim shot, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Steve, you heard it. Ha ha, happy wilt day. Oh, that's nice. That was Steve from Oxford, Mississippi. Really? Don't ask me how we got to Oxford, Mississippi. We're big in Oxford. I guess the I podcast that. reaches Oxford. They get podcasts in Oxford. Well, it turns out it's on the World Wide Web, uh-huh. so they do, yes. Dear Mitch, the most underrated element of your morning show was how you involved your producers, engineers, traffic people, and even interns. You should tell the stories of allowing your interns to host a segment of the show by themselves on their last day of their internship, which I did. I remember that, I think. When Schmitty, you should tell the story when Schmitty strolled in late with McDonald's. I even think you bought a car for one of your guys only to have him resell it. True story. Really? Yes. And one of your guys went missing in action only to be found sleeping next to his coffee table after all night gaming. True story. We oh. couldn't get on the air. Clark Strauss, great guy. Clark, do you know Clark Strauss? Yeah, soccer yeah. guy maybe. Is he really into soccer? Oh, I don't know. Like the... Sounders or? I don't know. Anyway, I, I, can, I can picture him. Clark. Do you have glasses? 
Uh, no, I don't think Clark uh, Strauss. I, I know the name. I definitely okay. worked like in the okay. same building. We couldn't we... get on the air one time. Why? Because he was our engineer. None of us knew how to get on the air. We were waiting for him, waiting, and he didn't show up. You want to turn a mic on? Yeah, but I think we had to, you know, get out of syndication. Oh, I, I, I don't I, know. I, I, all right. Engineer. I, I don't think we could. And we, we couldn't find him. And we were scared. And you get to that period where, like, oh, some, don't joke about this. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, you know what? I think I was on the air. Because I was like, do I joke about this? He could be something. He could be in a ditch somewhere. Right, yeah. Less I, mad, more gotta, worried. Got to be careful yeah, yeah. until you know he's okay. And then you pound <laughs> and Then you hit him hard. Right. <laughs> we found him. We sent somebody over to his apartment, which I guess wasn't far from the station. And we found him asleep, like, under his uh, coffee table because he was playing video games all night. That's poor true. kid. I mean, it, to his defense, I've had dreams of the program director calling me yeah. and saying, hey, uh, Rob's not coming in today. There's no show. And I'd go back to sleep. <laughs> I'd turn my, that, that was what I dreamt about. So it was tough and getting then up there's early. This, and, oh, Mitch, how about the on-air soap opera about your stolen shirt at the bigger dance party? Somebody stole your shirt? Yes, somebody stole my shirt. So my wife, this, this has got to go back. I thought maybe this was your era. This has got to go back to like 96, 97, 98, one of our first ever bigger dance Final Four parties on the road. Okay. We were at, a, I think, a place in Kirkland or in Bellevue mm. somewhere, we're doing, a, doing an event, a lot of people there for the Final Four, whatever. My wife had given me a shirt, <laughs> a nice shirt for my birthday. Okay. And I hadn't worn it yet, like a... Like a button-down shirt that you'd wear over jeans. A nice-looking shirt. Gotcha. It was a nice-looking shirt. Sure, but it was. And I, and I got up there. It was gray. I can remember. I got to the, I got to the event. I'm wearing my new shirt for the first time. Yeah. And one of the promotions gals from KJR comes over to me and says, hey, we got these new Bigger Dance t-shirts. Take your shirt off. We want you to wear this. Yeah, yeah. So I take my shirt off, and I put it on my chair, and I put my shirt. Why are you shaking your head? Some listeners you got there stealing from you. All right, go ahead. I put the I put the big. <laughs> so at the end of the night, I go back to get my shirt, and the shirt's gone. Okay. And I'm like, what kind of a moron? Yeah. Really? You come to my event, right. you steal That's the what I'm shirt. Saying. Like really? really? So I didn't really want to do events in the first place. This was more ammunition. I'm never going to do an event yeah. again. Whatever. And I, I decided to go on the air and just kind of vent my spleen, spleen and say, you know, what kind of a what kind of a guy? <laughs> right. <laughs> Goes to an event and steals the whole shirt. Right. I mean, really? You probably would have given it to him if he'd and asked. I start, I start, and about halfway through it, I'm kind of feeling good about the segment, thinking it was worth losing the shirt over this segment. But anyway, I'm, I'm, and I'm like, I'm trashing whoever it is. Somebody out there is probably listening right now. The next segment or a segment later, my producer's in my ear while I'm on the air, and I don't remember what producer it was saying, "You got to go to line one. Go to line one." Pick up line one on the air right now. And yeah, I'm yeah. talking about like, I don't know, R Rick Meyer or something. Right. <laughs> Rick Meyer. <laughs> John Kidd had a hell of a game last week. I go to line one. I'm like, who is this? And he's like, and the guy on the voice is like, the guy on the phone is like, never mind who this is. And I was like, what? what? And I'm looking at my producer like, what? Yeah. He goes, you want your shirt? Two tickets to the upcoming Sonics game and you can have your shirt. I got your shirt. What? The guy's holding my shirt ransom. <laughs> He's holding it hostage, hostage for Sonic tickets. For, ransom, <laughs> for Sonic's tickets. So I don't know whether to laugh. Oh my God. I don't know whether to laugh or, or this is. It sounds like you're being great. put on a little bit yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, so I start playing along with the guy. Yeah. And I go, how do I? Let me hear. Let me speak to my shirt. You know how they put the phone yeah, right. in the Let me know it's okay. Yeah, I want to know that he's alive and well, my yeah. shirt. How do I know? How do I know you really have my shirt? How right. am I, I'm going to send tickets to you. And how do I know? He said, You'll find out soon. And he hangs up the phone. Uh, on that's me. a little weird. Okay. Like two days later, there's no email or anything. This is like 96, 97. Two days later, 
Go to my mailbox at KJR. Sure, yeah, There's yeah. a letter in the mail. No return address. <sighs> I open it up and I pull out a picture of a bulldog wearing my shirt. Come on, really? <laughs> A bulldog, really? Like with slobber coming oh. out. Now this was the worst decision the guy ever made because now I don't even want the shirt back. You don't want back. it back, yeah, yeah. Especially but the he's germ trying, guy. He's trying to milk me for tickets to get my shirt, and this was his way of showing me that he had my shirt. He put the shirt on the bulldog. So a couple days later, go to line one. The guy's on again. And we're trying to trace the call. We're trying to figure out a way to trace the call. Yeah, and, we, yeah. and we realized that we, I send a producer to, don't even ask me, South Center. We somehow figured out it was a payphone at like a Target in South Center or somewhere. Really? And I send somebody out to see if we can, <laughs> I try to hold him, I try yeah, to yeah. hold him on the phone. Yeah, yeah. True story of my shirt. I never got my shirt back. Never, he, he just quit calling eventually? Quit, quit, quit calling, yeah. Wow. Never got my shirt story. That's a crazy. But story. that was like that went. That was like two weeks worth of programming. It was great. Yeah, it was worth it, right? Yeah, it was like the... Suleiman. It was it was two <laughs> two weeks worth of programming. All right, hold on. Let me. Just, uh, I got a couple more. Uh, that was Stephen from Shoreline, who now lives in St. Paul, Minnesota. See, we're spreading out. I don't want to say we're like COVID, but we are spreading out all over this country. One last one. I want to congratulate you on nearing and achieving the 100 episode mark of your podcast career. I very much enjoyed your time on air and have enjoyed getting you back in this new format. While it's often joked about, he makes a nice comment, you can interview an Eskimo about an ice cube and find a way to make it interesting. I'm a great interviewer. uh, I keep hearing that, yes. No doubt that somewhere along those episodes, you covered these two questions, so I apologize in advance for dredging them up yet again. Okay. Number one. When you left, quote, KJR, what was the reaction from colleagues like Dick, Hugh, Mike Holmgren, etc.? If things went a bit south, has time begun to, has time begun to heal some of those wounds? Uh, and number two is, along those same lines, what was the reaction from some of your longtime on-air people like Neuheisel, Lock and Four, King? Obviously, many of those relationships have healed since they appear somewhat regularly on your podcast. Everybody asked these questions. Yeah, yeah. This is the this is the most asked question since I started the podcast. There are versions of this. I asked because I had a friend who was furloughed from a job where he had worked for 17 years. And I thought he had established and he thought he had established friendships that would stand the test of time. Unfortunately, what he discovered instead was that many of those people turned out not to be his friends. They never called him, never emailed him, never texted to see how he was doing, to say hello or anything. Anyway, your partnership with Hotshot Sp- Scott is spot on. Keep up the great work, gentlemen. Well, it's not my style to make things about myself, but um, when, I got, <laughs> when I got shown the door at KJR, yeah. I worked for that company for 18 years, from 95 till 2012, 17, 18 years. And it's shocking how many people didn't even say one thing to me. I mean, I didn't get fired. I just got laid off. I didn't do anything. But like the producer of our show, not a text, a call, hey, nice working with you. Good to know you. Sorry. Nothing to this day. Um, guys, sales guys I've known since, I, since I'm an intern. Yeah. Nothing. Just it's funny you, you find out a lot about people, don't you? When you get like shown the door so, at a place. So let me have you answer this question then about me. If that's what happened under the context of the way you, <laughs> yeah. went, How do you think it? How do you think it went down after I was let go? Yeah, I think it's a little different. I think maybe oh, it is. I think maybe they were probably given some orders to 
stand down a little bit? I don't bit? know that to be true. I don't either, but if I had to guess, I'd say keep, you know. Well, I heard from very, very few, okay. almost none after it was all said and done. And every once in a while, I hear, I, I, I have gotten a couple of emails and texts from people there. But for the most part, I only hear from them when I reach out. Sometimes I'll reach out. I'll mm. send Dick a note, yeah, yeah. Dick Fain a note, or I'll send Slickhawk a note, or I'll send Hugh and invite him to lunch. And what, what, what I've noticed about the guys that work there now is they only really want to chat with me if I, if I send out the olive branch mm. first, if that makes any kind yeah, of yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. What's interesting about that, and I look, I don't know, and I put them in a bad spot, and I get it, and I'm not... I'm not angry. I'm not bitter. Sure. You know, it, it is what it is. Those relationships have just gone away. What's interesting about what you said about whether they're being told not to not to be connected with Mitch or whatever, I don't know if that's what they've done. And I don't know either, to be fair. I'm just But here's guess. what I can tell you. I can't even begin to list off the number of ex-KJR employees that I worked with that are no longer at KJR producers that what the, the x ones that, that reached out to you all reached out to oh me. Interesting. producers engineers sales former salespeople, former marketing people former interns and still to this day you remember the name brian goldman i love brian goldman brian goldman sent me a note yesterday he's a listener he loves the podcast oh, I, I, don't, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know yeah brian brian but and i were roommates sale all kinds of people that i used to work with at yeah. kjr that don't work at kjr have been incredibly forward and reaching out asking me how i did doing how's the podcast export ops reached out to you export ops yep, yep. steve dion is the producer of this thing he reached out and said is there anything i can do to help you with your your podcast mm. anyway i mean a lot of a lot of people that aren't working there currently yeah. have been great the people that are still working there have been very like arm arm's length so does that suggest that maybe they've been given orders is that kind of what you're suggesting i'm not suggesting i'm just giving you the facts oh, okay all right oh i'm no, su- no. i'm suggesting that it sounds like it maybe they had been told to kind of well know, keep their distance hugh millen i had lunch with hugh millen twice okay in the last three years i had to invite him to to join me i had to reach out to him and he did he did reach out to me one time by himself without me reaching out first because he he wanted me to connect him with a car dealership a connection at a car dealership to help get him a car for his his wife. Really? Yeah, he wanted to know if I had any contacts or who's the name, who's somebody that I talked to to get this car. That's how he. That's why he reached out. Mm. <laughs> all right, that's a little. Of all that's the, the last time I've heard from Hugh Miller. Of all the people to ask if he's going to come to you after what you you still know anybody at the old dealership? Yeah, I don't. Well, it, but he did show up for lunch. You guys had lunch twice, yeah, right? Yeah, we had lunch okay. twice. Yeah. All right. So maybe yeah. it's not as the, the orders aren't. Well, though he's not really. Is he a KGR employee? He's not. He's not beholden to them. I'm not sure what Hugh Millen is. Yeah, I don't know either. He's just. Yeah. I remember his first call, by the way. You didn't. Did. I don't think you knew who he was. Oh, I know. I'm sure I didn't know who he was. He yeah. didn't even know who he was. <laughs> <laughs> I had to tell you. I was running the board for you. I go, no, this guy. He played. If it's who he says he is, he was a quarterback. He was the good. Washington. He yeah. used to listen to the show and call yeah, in. That's what led to the, him being hired. That call. Now he's a big star. Because I walked out of the studio, it was a really good call, and I, I went into Tom Lee's office at the time, tiptoed Tommy Lee, and I yeah. said, did you hear that call? And he's like, no. I said, listen to the... <laughs> of course not. <laughs> he was listening to Cube. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> I said, listen back to that segment, listen to the call, you ought to have this guy in. And that was the beginning, that was the oh. origin of Hugh Millen coming to work for the station. A call that he made, and it was about Rick Neuheisel. Oh, is that right? Yeah. No, was it? Yeah. I think it was about Rick Neuheisel. 
I thought it was maybe earlier than that, 95, 96? Oh, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I went through the same thing, not quite what you did, but it is interesting who reaches out and who doesn't. It's crazy, isn't it? it? Is. People I've known for a long time who it I consider really good crazy. friends. Yep. Okay, uh, before we end segment number one, this is episode 100. That was only segment one? That's it. <laughs> good God. We haven't gone to the other stuff segment. We haven't talked any sports. We're going to hold sports until the other stuff. So I got three great interviews, three solid interviews, you know. I, I did it. One of the interviews is an Eskimo about an ice cube. Good. So I hope I made it interesting, interesting for you. Yeah. I think we should try to get uh, some of these Zoom audience members on the show. I agree. Okay. Let's go to Doug in Kirkland first. And I got to unmute Doug. Oh, Doug's going to unmute himself, right? Hey, thank you. And uh, congrats on show 100. Uh, you know, awesome to be here. It's a nice, nice little crowd. Um, and so we're doing kind of change the subject, I guess. And uh, so I had, I had two things. One, I don't, it's funny. I was uh, cleaning up some stuff here and well, my wife's out of town and I'm going through and I have, these are all my ticket stubs from the 95 playoffs and the one game playoff against the angels. I was, there. I was curious, you know, my, my, my was curious, you know, so I'm going to put some stuff up on the wall. Do you have, you know, a, you know, a stub from a game or something like that, or a few that you like, those, those are the ones that would go up because obviously you can't put them all up. And I was curious if, you know, if there was something like that, that you, you know, what, what's, what's one you have that, you know, would be the one that would be up and framed uh, up. And- on, honest to goodness. Um, I can't think of one ticket stub I have. I have nothing. I'm, I, I wish I did. I wish I was Doug. I wish I had it in me to collect stuff and say probably should have. Yeah. I'd like to have a few Jordan ticket stubs that I could sell to that guy in Miami. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to collect them all. Honestly, I'm sure there's one or two that I have, but I can't think of one sports ticket stub that I have. I have nothing. Nothing. And that, that 96 season for the Sonics, I went to 41 out of 42 regular season games and yeah. I missed one home playoff game. I had tickets to like everything. I was at all the championship games right. yeah. I, in Chicago and here as fans. I had tickets to all of them. Oh, that's I can't, right. Yeah. I can't, I don't think I don't know where I, don't, I have no idea. I have a friend who is meticulous. He keeps really? ever, oh, he's got scrapbooks and yeah. pictures from high school, and I'm yeah. kind of jealous. Yeah, I have nothing. All right, I'm so bad that way. Let's go to Reggie. Reggie, who's in the studio audience. Reggie, thank you so much. You betcha, Mitch. Congrats on the hundred. Thank he's, you. Hot shot. Um, Bob Levy's story. Oh, geez. What was, what was your fondest time with your dad uh, watching basketball when Syracuse was uh, in the NC2A? And part two of that is when Syracuse goes back again, are you going to take one or both of your boys and start a new tradition? I haven't had, thank you, Reggie. I haven't gone to one game since my dad passed away. It's been hard for me. My brother and I actually talked about it. My sons and I have talked about it, but we haven't been able to do that just yet, or we just haven't done that just yet. Um, And if you're asking me really for one, I have to give you one, really just one Reggie. I would say the day that they won the national championship in New Orleans was the day that we, I mean, we were going for years. We started in 19, what was it, 1989? 1989, I think, was the first, 87 or 88, 89. That was the first time we ever went to one. And then they win the national championship in 2000 and whatever it was, 2003 with Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, yeah. And we were in the New Orleans Superdome, having gone to every game up until that point for the last like yeah. 15 or 18 years, different cities, different Big East tournaments. And so all of a sudden, 
They're playing one shining moment in Syracuse as a national champion, and I'll never forget my dad's reaction. We're sitting in the New Orleans Superdome watching this, having gone to all these games, and he turns to me and he goes, what do we do now? Yeah, right. No, he. I, I, it, I, it had never. It had never ended with a win. Right. It would always end. And we were doing this to find to somehow get to see a national championship. Now they've won it, and he was and he was really really serious. He's like, do we quit now? Right. I said, no. Is it going to get better than this? He's like, but we've now seen what we've set out to see. And I said, no, we got to keep going. So we kept going, and I would say of all of the trips. That was the one that has the fondest memory just because the two of us arm in arm stood there in the New Orleans Superdome, watched him cut down the nets and play one shining moment after all those years together of heartbreaks and first round losses and second round loss and all that stuff. Such a big investment emotionally, not just financially, but emotionally. When the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, I felt the same way. Like all those parking at UW when they played there and the rain and the shit and all the eight hour days down there just felt worth it. Let's go to Paul, Paul Brooks. How are you, sir? Doing great, Mitch. Uh, thanks for taking the uh, the calling, and congrats on 100. Thank you. My question really is, what has been your biggest challenge um, with the, creating the pod and maintaining the consistency? Um, I listen to it. I'm down here in Vegas. I'm, I moved down here a few years back, and I listen to it faithfully, but I'm wondering what has been your biggest obstacle? I think there's probably been a couple things, Paul, to be honest. At the beginning... The obstacle was just getting it out and getting it done and getting it edited, getting a product that I was proud of. And I was doing most of it until Steve Dion came along and helped me book the show and edit the show. One day you'll be proud of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I think in the early stages, I was still figuring out the equipment. I was figuring out the software, how the I was stressed out because I didn't know whether it was going to work on a given day. Every third day, I couldn't get levels. And it was just... It was just a cluster, you know what, for the first couple of two, three months. And then, slowly but surely, I got into a rhythm with the equipment. I started figuring out problems on my own so I could kind of circumvent problems and troubleshoot on my own. And then Steve Dion, you probably heard me mention him, he came into my life or re-came into my life and said, hey, how can I help? So he's taken a lot of the the booking and the editing and the posting uh, responsibility. So he helps and it's become a real team effort. Hotshot doesn't do a damn thing except, except show up and, and, and ruin the show. Yeah, that, that was part of the negotiations. Yeah. I show up, I talk, I leave. That's right. Yep. Uh, but, but Steve has been great, and I've started to learn how to fix things in terms of the setup here. And so that challenge went away, Paul. So then the challenge after that, you ask what the challenge is today then. What, are the, what is the most challenging thing about this podcast today? It doesn't involve the equipment. It doesn't involve the software. I just, I think that, you know, coming up with ideas, coming up with interview ideas, finding those people to tell their stories, getting them to be willing to be with us and tell and open up, getting Andy Bennis, if you didn't hear Andy Bennis last week, to come on and not only talk about 95, but talk about his life and how it was really on thin ice at the end of his career to tell those stories, the Stephen Elliott story about accidentally oh, yeah. killing Pat Tillman. I, I mean, I, I could go on and on. We've, we've done about 500 interviews now between the patron shows Crazy. and the regular shows. So I would say the biggest challenge, and I'm sure Steve Dion is somewhere shaking his head, is, okay, coming up with ideas for good, solid storytelling and interview subjects for each show. Have you had anyone say, I'm going to pass because of what happened in your past? Um, Has that been much of an issue? 
no one has said that they're going to pass because of what's happened in my life. Okay. But we have kind of suspiciously gotten some late cancellations and some no's. Okay. And Steve and I are like, hmm. Yeah. They don't say why. We've also got some no's because of attachments with Cairo or KJR. Oh, yeah. They know the, the radio stations, for some reason, feel that we're our little podcast here is some sort of a threat to them, and they don't want me interviewing uh, different guys that are attached with them. But okay. we've gotten a couple of no's here and there that Steve and I wonder to each other. I wonder if that's because they don't want to be associated with Mitch, but I don't know. You don't know that for sure. I don't know that for sure. Okay, let's go to Chris. Hi, Chris. Yo, you guys are doing so great. Thank, Thank you. you. Congratulations. Thank you. I, uh, I'm from Renton, but now I'm living in Brooklyn, New York. Okay. And I've been biking around Brooklyn the last couple of weeks because, you know, pandemic has me not working and traveling. And I got you blasting on this little speaker, you and Scott. Nice. Talking to people. I, can, I pull up to a stoplight and I look over and I see people go, nice. who's that blabbing away? So <laughs> I'm getting around New York right now. Uh, Chris, before you. You, before you ask your question, if you have another comment or question, it's funny that you bring that up. I should have brought the email in. I must have not. Ah, uh, somebody sent me an email that they were driving last week, that they were driving down the road with their windows down, listening okay. to our podcast in their car, and they were at a light, and the guy next to him said, not is that any great, do you have any great Poupon? Right. They said, are, <laughs> you, are you listening to Mitch? Is that Mitch? And the guy said, yeah, it actually is Mitch. He says, "Is it what, what station is he oh. on? I didn't know he was on a station. Oh. And he's like, no, 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 no. He's got a podcast. It's called Mitch Unfiltered. Really? And he, this guy wrote me an email to share with me that story that we've got now a new listener because he happened to be at a stop sign Crazy. or at a stoplight and he heard the guy next to him <laughs> listening to Mitch Unfiltered. Well, last podcast, I said, if, the, if people could just share, tell a friend, yeah, tell someone, great. just share to that'd whoever you think would like it. Yeah, but look at Chris. He, who the hell does he know? I mean, take a look at exactly. him. Look at his house. Look at his long hair. <laughs> <laughs> okay, who do we have? Who's, ne who's next? Marlon Hall has been at his hand. Marlon, go ahead. Uh, listening to you for decades, I appreciate you. So I got a couple things I want to say. So as far as passing it on to a friend, uh, same thing. I think you started, was it in August? I didn't find out until like November. You always tell people to go through and hit play on each episode, right? Yeah, yeah I do. I wouldn't start listening to the current ones until I caught up. I, had, I started from one and listen to every single one. You're a gentleman, a Marlon. Patron. Thank you. So thank you. anyway, thank you, Marlon. Um, two questions. Okay. Right? The yeah. first one I've been asking, I've been sending you messages for a long time and just missed the answer, right? I still want to know what happened to the phone you lost in the SUV. That's the first thing I want to know. And then the other thing I want to know is Steve can drop a band on me. Oh, oh band. No, we can't me. use we can't use band. Um, oh, we can't use band, Marlon. Before you answer, just so you know, Mark is the guy who was at the light and he's in the, the call. Is that right? Yeah. No. That's what he says. Mark. Okay. Yeah, he's waving. Well, I want I to, when he waves, I want to hear the story, but okay. uh, Marlon, I got bad news for you. The reason why you've never heard what happened to the phone from the SUV is because I have no idea what happened oh. to the phone from the SUV. I think I put it on the on the top of the car and we drove around. What year was this? Can't remember what year it was. I think it was when my kid. I was going out to the golf tournament, mm. and for some reason, I was making calls, but I couldn't find my. It was still up there, and it was it was the Bluetooth <laughs> gotcha. was connected. So I don't even know. Uh. Jeff Evans. Hey, what's up, Mitchie? How are you, Jeff? All right, I'm I'm doing great. All right, I'm gonna ask this. I'm gonna I'm gonna expect to hear a no. Okay. You can have Dion cut this out later. I know you have a George Carl story that you've been hesitant to tell, that you've alluded to in the past, 
Tell it for us, patrons, right here. Don't put it out on the pod. Spill the beans. Well, is that possible? Well, Jeff has impeccable timing. He doesn't realize how good his timing okay. is, but he's got impeccable timing. The answer is I'm going to disappoint you, and I'm not going to answer your question. However, I will tell you this, that George and I, through his producer of his podcast, have been in contact for the last several months about getting together and doing a podcast of our own, either his show or my show or both. The subject was the topic was brought up to me many months ago. I was I was it was they reached out to me and asked me if George could come on our show and to promote his yeah. and, and vice versa. And I said, only if we can fully disclose what happened between George and I. I'm not going to do the interview as if what happened 20 something years ago didn't happen. And the producer was hesitant to bring it to George because it's a very, very, very sensitive subject. I don't know if you even know the subject. I don't think okay, I do. It was a very, very sensitive subject. And his producer was was hesitant to, to go to him and say, hey, do you want to talk about this? Yeah. And so it, they never did until two days ago. Really? I got a call. This is why Jeff Evans' uh, timing is impeccable. Because I got a call just, I just spoke to him yesterday, uh, the day before we're recording this, the producer saying, I finally went to George. And so we're having conversations about how we can, how we can uh, bring that, that topic to the air. But I guess that's, that's like tremendous, man. I can't, I can't wait to hear it. Well, you can wait to hear it. It's a tough story. It's a tough story for me. And it's an important story during this time that we're in right now to have that conversation if he's willing to have it. So I'll keep you updated. Okay, Jeff. Eric. Brock. Okay. Yeah. Eric Brock, Eric, how are you, sir? I am good. I'm good. It's a pleasure to be on the hundredth episode. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, uh, over the years, you know, it's been kind of fun through your stories to learn a little bit about the radio business. Uh, and I'm curious after a hundred episodes or 200 or however many it is with the patron episodes, what have you learned about the podcast business? What can you, Tell us uh, about what you're doing. I mean, you know, what makes a successful podcast? Now you got the sponsors, et cetera. Why are we clicking on every episode, which That's I've done? Good question. But what, 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 what do you know? What's, uh, what is this new thing we're listening to? You know, I think that's a better question for yourself, Eric. I mean, you're a handsome guy with that big beard. Go look in the mirror and ask yourself. You, you can, I, why you guys like it and why you guys listen to it is really a question for you guys more than it is for me. I don't find myself really doing much different than what I did on the radio. I find people that I, I think are interesting and have something to say. And I try to lead them to the position of saying it in terms of non-interview segments. I come in with a list. He, Scott comes in with a list, things that we find funny or interesting, and we just talk and we do our thing. And I don't know that I, I have any great profound answers for you about the podcast business. You know, for me, uh, that's, a, that's a good question. I think it's a, it's a balance between uh, kind of scratching that sports itch and then just uh, uh, listening to various topics that are interesting that, have not, that are not sports banter between you and Scott and, um, and, and uh, uh, Hamilton before. 
You know, I mean, I've, all that is all that's interesting. And I try to make a point to listen to it every week. I'll say, gotcha. as you know, this is not kiss up to Mitch day, but, you know, Mitch is a pretty solid broadcaster. And there's a lot of podcasts out there. There's, I don't know, 100 million on iTunes or whatever the number is. And, you know, I think Mitch sort of stands out from a lot of them. And I've had friends tell me that, too, that you can just tell he's a trained, solid broadcaster who has chops and who's been doing this for a long time. And I think that's a big part of a it. A trained, too. solid podcaster or broadcaster. Bro- you can just tell you're a solid with, broadcaster. With terrible co host judgment yeah well that's no one i don't think i don't think we need to know about your judgment i don't think that's ever coming oh, <laughs> your judgment hasn't I always kid. been great i kid you but you've been great you've been Thank really you. great um yeah i see uh, wheezy go ahead wheezy do you have a question hey uh, congratulations on 100 thank you um less of a question and more of a comment i think uh the familiarity of longtime listeners with you and how much you give what i found with DJs, podcasters, and the like, they tend to give a piece of themselves up to their broadcasts. And in that way, we bond with you in a way. You become a friend. Maybe not never face-to-face, maybe always in our ears. But from that, I surely appreciate that. And I appreciate the friendship you have given me via the radio and via your broadcast over the years. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Thank you. You too, Scott. Thank you. Thanks, Wheezy. Thanks, very Wheezy. Nice. Appreciate it very, very much. Let's do three interviews, and then we'll do the other stuff. We'll get into some sports on episode 100. It's time to catch up with the CEO of Daniel's Broiler. Here's our friend Lindsey Schwartz to give us some good news about the reopening of two more Daniel's Broiler locations. Lindsey? Yeah, that's right, Mitch. We finally got to open uh, two more. So we opened Bellevue, and then we opened Lake Union the night after that. And uh, we're off to a pretty good start. So far, so good. Okay, so what can you tell us about what we'll find at the three locations now? Leshy, Daniels Broiler, Bellevue, and Lake Union in terms of how much capacity seating, how close will we be to the next party, all of that stuff. Sure, yeah. Well, King County has moved into phase two. Inside in the dining rooms, we can do 50% capacity. And outside, on the decks and patios, we can do 50% capacity. Unfortunately, all three of those locations uh, have either decks or patios, and so that really helps. All the tables are six feet apart, so we've removed tables from the dining rooms to ensure that everybody's at least six feet apart. Uh, and then all the other things that, that, that we do to keep people six feet apart. We have signage. Uh, we have those those decals on the floors for people to stand on when they're checking in at the front desk. Uh, of course, all of our team members are wearing masks and gloves, and now you know all guests are required to wear masks, and so we enforce that. We've got disposable menus. We've got hand sanitizer available throughout the restaurant, and we thoroughly sanitize the tables in between each use and thoroughly sanitize uh, all the common areas, areas on a regular basis. So we're taking it very seriously, as uh, as you would expect us to. So now that South Lake Union and Bellevue are open, that means delivery from those two spots as well, correct? That's right. Yeah, all three spots are work with DoorDash as our third-party delivery company. So it's available from all three. So that's expanded our geographic footprint for delivery since we've opened an additional two locations. And then all three are available for pickup. And what's cool about pickup is you can also do beer, wine, and even cocktails for the pickups. 
40th year anniversary of Daniel's Broiler, part of the fabric, as I like to say, of the Pacific Northwest. And we're celebrating with $40 bottles of Vouv Clicquot. But that is, is that only Les Shy, or is that available at the other two locations that are now open as well? That's only at Les Shy for now. That's the first restaurant. It's, it's actually, that's the one that's celebrating the 40-year anniversary. And so we've got it limited to that for now. That may change at some point. But right now, if you want the $40 Vuv, you go get it at Leshai. I got to say that everybody's itching to go back to restaurants, and we've all missed a lot of special occasions, and there is no better place to celebrate your special occasion, whether it's a birthday or an anniversary, a graduation dinner. You've got to do it at Daniel's Broiler now with three locations back open, South Lake Union, Leshai, and Bellevue Place. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. Pressure from Thomas off the edge. Eli Manning stays on his feet. Airs it out down the field. It is caught by Tyree. Manning lobs it. Burris alone. Touchdown, New York. Brady steps up. Throws. Downfield broken up. Two seconds left as the Giants take over. Our next guest has delivered one of the most riveting stories that you'll ever read. It's in Business Week. The true life saga of the Patriots fan who once stole, I think it was 27 New York Giants Super Bowl rings after the Patriots' heartbreaking loss to the Giants. And that's just the beginning. Joining us is writer Zeke Fox. Coincidentally, he's on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Zeke, thank you. How many words in the story in Business Week? Thanks, Mitch. Maybe 5,000 or so. (laughs) And how long did it take you to craft this piece? How many discussions did you have with Sean Murphy? Yeah, so I've been in touch with Sean for maybe a year. At first, we were just pen pals for reasons that will become clear. And then we started talking every few days. So it took quite a long time. I I may have bitten off more than I can chew with this interview. I'm not sure how to even begin with you, Zeke, except to just ask you to share the story with, with us that you wrote about in Business Week. We'll tell everybody to link them to your story. Let's start with Lynn, Massachusetts. Sean Murphy, now in his mid-50s in prison, He's the greatest burglar in the history of a Massachusetts town that has a somewhat unique reputation and history, Zeke, right? Yeah, so if you're from the Boston area, everyone knows the rhyme, Lynn, Lynn, the city of sin, you'll never go out the way you come in. (laughs) And the city kind of lives up to that. And in the burglary area, it was a... Town, it's a working-class suburb north of Boston, kind of a down-and-out town that used to be a big shoe manufacturing hub. Now there's a lot of abandoned factories and vinyl-sided duplexes. And there was just this group of guys who were burglars, and the skills would get passed down from sort of generation to generation. They specialized in pulling open the doors to pharmacies at night and stealing all the pills inside to resell them pretty good. A lot of guys got pretty good at it. A cop once made a list of them and had 135 of these Lynn breakers, he called them. And on the top of the list was the man who I wrote about, 
Sean Murphy, who was spent his whole life as a Saturday night cat burglar. He was a big Patriots fan, and if you just met him, he'd seem like a typical Boston guy. You know, he liked to get his coffee at Dunkin' Donuts. He's slim. He's got deep-set brown eyes. You know, if you squint, he kind of looks like a third Affleck brother, but maybe a little <laughs> grimier. Um, and he ran a moving company in Lynn, a real moving company. But every so often, him and his buddies would dress up in full ninja suits, black from head to toe, gather all their gear, which was fairly sophisticated, and go out on a heist. Because Sean graduated from pharmacies to break into big commercial warehouses, and then even jewelry manufacturers, which is where the story that I wrote began. Before you get there, he was described by you as a daily marijuana user, but he was not into the drugs or even alcohol, despite the constant thefts of the drugs for resale. Leading up to it, and we'll get to the Super Bowl, we'll get to the rings, and then we'll get to the Brinks, the Brinks heist, Leading up to all of this, did he ever get caught? Is this a Saturday night thing where he would go out and sometimes with accomplices and just no one was ever able to out him? No, so that is interesting. A lot of his accomplices would get uh, caught because they would get into drugs and they'd slip up. And like you said, Murphy, he didn't use drugs, but he often would get caught. Not necessarily in the act, but maybe someone would tell on him after. And he spent, he spent at least half of his adult life, or at least half of his entire life, I think, in prison. Most people might think, hey, time to get a new job. Like, this isn't working out that great. But Murphy would spend his time in prison just planning his next heist. He'd think, you know, I kind of screwed up that one, or maybe this went wrong, but it's bad luck. And I'm going to study really hard. And I'm going to do better the next time. And he'd get out, and he'd plan something bigger. 2008, Zeke. Giants knock off Tom Brady's undefeated Patriots. All of us Dolphins fans of 1972 rejoiced because the Patriots were getting ready to go undefeated. Everybody remembers the throw, Manning to David Tyree. And it just so happens that the gaudy rings that the Giants were to get as Super Bowl champs were produced in a small New England town jeweler. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah, the Giants commissioned these giant 1.7-carat rings. Michael Strahan wanted something that could be seen 10 tables away in a restaurant, so they made them extra big. And they had them designed by Tiffany & Co. in New York. But Tiffany farmed out the manufacturing to EA Dion, which is in Attleboro, just coincidentally not too far from Foxborough. And Murphy who had watched the helmet catch game and was a big Pats fan, went to you know as many games as he could. He read about this. There was an article in the New York Post saying, hey, the Giants, isn't it funny? They've commissioned these rings and they're going to be made by a jewelry maker near Foxborough. And he thought he was on the lookout for a new place to hit. And he thought, hey, this jewelry maker sounds like a pretty good spot. They got a lot of gold and uh, as a bonus, Maybe I could get some of these Super Bowl rings, and I don't think the Giants deserve them anyway. So, <laughs> yeah. So he recruited uh, a couple, a couple accomplices, also Pats fans, and a few months after the game, 
they slunk into this industrial park where the jewelry manufacturer was and followed his usual MO, which was climb up on the roof, set up a cell phone jammer to jam the backup connection from the alarm to the police. Uh-huh. And that meant that when you cut the phone lines, no secondary alarm goes off. So he jammed the cell phone, cut the phone line, then cut a hole in the roof and drop in. And he'd do this on Saturday night because nobody comes to work on Sunday. And he would have all night to carry out whatever he can from this uh, jeweler. And he found gold plates, gold jewelry, uh, gold dust. I mean, he takes what he can get. There was a big safe. He couldn't crack it. So he just put it on a jack and slid it out into the loading dock and into his moving van. Finally, one of his accomplices came out of the company president's office with an armload of bling. And he was like, Sean, we got these, they got these rings. And they found dozens of rings. There were several that said Manning on them. One that said Strahan. And I mean, these Pats fans were psyched. They took him back to Lynn. Um, (laughs) And he he was excited to see it on the make the news. It was in the New York papers, it was in the Boston papers. Everybody was wondering how they got away with these uh, with these Super Bowl rings. And there were actually really no clues left on the scene. The local police were were baffled. And Murphy, however, was a little disappointed because these rings he realized were too hot to sell. Sure. And the safe that he had gotten away with turned out to not have anything that great inside. So his total haul from this, this burglary was only about $2 million. I mean, only for, by his standards, he was a little disappointed. Right. So within, uh, you know, within a few months, he was looking for another place, a bigger, yeah. bigger heist. Right. We'll get there in a second. What do you do with 27 Super Bowl rings besides give one to a young girl that you're romancing at the time, which got him in trouble ultimately, Zeke. Yeah, so that was his big mistake. It's also the kind of creepy part of the story, which is that Murphy, who was at this point, I think 42, had quite a few girlfriends that were much younger than him. I mean, we're talking about teenagers, and some of them were addicted to painkillers or heroin. And he says he never gave them any drugs. He would just give them money and they could do with it what they wanted. And he says that they were all of, uh, of legal age, but even taking that at face value, you know, he's a 40 something year old guy who's got girlfriends who are, you know, teenagers and addicted to drugs. uh, Yeah. Addicted to drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, he came home from this Super Bowl heist, and he was—he's got a big—he's got a big ego. He couldn't resist showing off what he'd gotten. One of his girlfriends, who was on his good side at that time, he gave her one of these Super Bowl rings, and another one, who he was fighting with, he just gave her basically the booby prize, which was a ring made for Radio Shack employees <laughs> that said Radio Shack on it. She was like, what am I supposed to do with this? I mean, I don't know if she said that out loud, but um, yeah. So at the time, it didn't seem like a big deal, but 
There was a Massachusetts State policeman yeah. named Al Zani. Don't go there yet. I'm going to take you there. Okay, I'm going I'm okay. ta- to take you there, Zeke, because I want to do this in chronological order. I, I, I do want to step in because there's something weird about this whole story from the standpoint of whether this Sean Murphy character is a likable figure or not. And I was going to ask you, you spoke to him and you were a pen pal and you spoke to him several times on the phone from prison. Until we get to the part with the young girls and the addiction to drugs and the girls and taking advantage of them, until we, if that part of the story didn't exist, would we find him a likable figure or a villain? He is a funny guy he's really he's really friendly and if you if you had him on here he'd be a good guest but as the as i learned more details about about these girls and his predatory behavior you know it it made it impossible for me to find that i mean i can't say he's a good guy it's pretty horrible stuff all right so he pulls off the super bowl and what do you do what did he plan? Did you ask him this? Well, I mean, he's got 27 Super Bowl rings. Some of them say Manning. They say Strahan on it. We'll get back to the story now. Did you ask? I mean, obviously, you can't walk around selling those things because then you've outed yourself. So what's the plan for the Super Bowl rings at that time, Zeke? So he's thinking, maybe if I sit on these for a while and the publicity dies down, yeah, maybe I can sell them to some sort of sports fan because he realized that their value was not in melting them down or prying out the diamonds. They needed to be kept intact and sold to the, to the right person. And he actually uh, spoke to a friend of his who was in the football industry. And this friend told him, think about a football stadium and look up at the, at those luxury boxes. And every one of those, there's a millionaire who would love to have one of these rings. Mm-hmm. Those are the people you have to find, and you've got to sell it to them. And he never got around to trying that. He just stashed them in a safe deposit box to wait until the, the heat was off. Okay, so you were about to say that no one could pin the robbery of the rings of the jewelry store on Sean Murphy and his accomplices until a state police officer got an ex-girlfriend to complain about Murphy giving the Super Bowl ring to another girl. So while all of this is happening, before the lieutenant got to Sean Murphy and arrest him, he had already left Lynn, Massachusetts, per your story, for Columbus, Ohio, for what every burglar dreams of, the huge score. Pick it up from there, Zeke. So he had in his sights a Brinks armored car depot. He'd cased it out on another trip, and he saw it had 40 trucks, which he thought meant at least $20 million. Now, the U.S. record for biggest cash heist was a Dunbar Armored Depot in 97 for $18 million. So at the $20 million that he estimated, this would have been the biggest heist in U.S. history. As it turned out, the Brinks Depot actually had $93 million oh. in cash in it. it yeah. Believe it or not, they don't guard it overnight. They're just counting on their alarm. So Murphy, he doesn't know this, but the, the cops are planning to arrest him right. just in a couple days. Right. He's down in Ohio right. in his ninja suit, right. climbs up on the roof, <laughs> yeah. 
sets up his jammer, yeah. cuts into the the roof and jumps down into the into this Brinks depot. And he brought this crazy tool because he knew the vault would be very thick. He brought it's called a thermal lance. It's like a giant pipe, ten feet long that you pipe you pump oxygen through. You use a different welding torch to light it, and it burns as hot as like the surface of the sun. It can melt rocks. You use it to cut through like battleships if you want to take your you know your old battleship to the junkyard or something. Right. It's not like a, a common tool. So he you know unloaded that his oxygen and his thermal lance from his truck at the loading dock like he usually did after making sure everything was all the alarms were disabled and it cuts through the vault door like butter just like how he wanted it to and he it melts the door like lava the place is getting pretty smoky it makes a lot of sparks but he's feeling good about it until yep it makes a hole and he can see into the vault and he sees the vault's on fire he's burning the money zeke right He's burning the money. He cut too deep into the vault with this lance. And so he, his accomplice runs for a hose. They're spraying down the money. Smoke is pouring out of the vault. And they got all night, but they just – the smoke is intense. They set up a fan to try and suck it out of the vault. It just makes it worse. Yeah. One of the accomplices is puking into a bucket so we can take the puke away. Don't want to leave any DNA. Uh, and – Eventually, they're trying to reach in and just grab cash through the hole, but they can't get very much. So Murphy says, all right, I'm going in. He puts on a painting respirator. He squeezes through the hole. It's like pretty tight squeeze. He burns his nose pretty badly on the way in, uh-huh. and he's in there. He can't even see very well. He passes out one brick of money. It's all ones, they tell him. Get a different, you know, go for a different stack. <laughs> um, <laughs> but within like a minute or two, he's overcome by these by the smoke and he realizes that he could pass out and he thinks to himself, if I pass out in here, these guys are not going to come in and get me out. Like I'll die in here. So he goes out the way he came in and the whole night, they're just trying to grab money through this hole smoking. Some of the money is damaged by water. Some is damaged by flames. And by the time morning comes around, when they know that the Brinks employees are going to arrive, it's still too smoky to go in there. Ah. So they're forced to leave. They only get away with, uh, again, a pretty good sum, but not what they were hoping. They get away with about a million dollars. And a lot of the money is, is totally damaged. So they, they drive it back to Lynn. Hold on, Zeke. Hold on. Yeah. They stop on the way back to Lynn at a hotel. They try to... They try to resurrect or whatever the money. Didn't they end up trying to put it in a washing machine or something in, in, a, in a motel or hotel on the way home to Massachusetts? Not at the motel. They did, they did stop and rest. But when they got back, they went to one of the accomplices' house. And yeah. they were – first they tried Febreze. It, did, it didn't do the trick. <laughs> then they're putting it through the laundry. Yeah. And it's just, it's just crumpling up the money. <laughs> so then they, they have to iron it out. They're Googling, like, can I redeem money that is only is partially burnt? Right, right. You know, they're figuring they'll cut out the bad part with scissors. Yeah. They spend days working on this. And, you know, they were able to get a fair amount of clean money, but it was just not the one big score that yeah. Murphy had been dreaming of. Yeah. Okay. And then a few days later, 20 police surround his house and they're arresting him now for the jeweler 
They're, they're arresting him now for the jeweler score, the jeweler heist. They're not arresting him. They don't know anything about what just went down four or five nights earlier in Columbus, Ohio. Exactly. They're just acting off the information they got from one of his now ex-girlfriends. And they don't know about Brinks. He, it's freezing winter, winter morning before dawn. The heat's off at Murphy's house because he didn't get a new oil tank. And they've got him cuffed in his underwear in the living room. One FBI agent tries to uh, tries to butter him up, but telling him what a good burglary is. But Murphy's just smirking. He knows they don't know about, about Brinks. Another team of police and FBI agents arrest one of his girlfriends, try to, to grill her. She doesn't talk. But they got Murphy... They he's they put him in jail on those Super Bowl heist charges, and that's where he's been ever since. And then they found out about the Brinks night. It, yeah, it didn't stay secret for too long. They were able to get the name of an accomplice from a cash for gold place where he'd been selling jewelry, and that accomplice told them, "Hey, you got Murphy on this on this Super Bowl heist, but I actually helped him scout out a." Brinks in, in Ohio, so you might want to look at that too. Okay. And when was this that he went to jail? This was in January 2009. Okay. And he's been in jail ever since. And and now it's not just for the Super Bowl heist. It's for the Brinks Depot burglary as well. Yes. And he actually, due to prosecutor, I don't know, their decision, he actually went on trial first for Brinks. It was two separate cases. This Brinks trial... This is what actually sold me on the story. I got a transcript of the of the trial, and Murphy defended himself. <laughs> and yeah, you know, the lawyers told him take the deal, plead guilty, and he uh-huh. said no. You know, we're going to trial. Uh-huh. And he gives this. Uh, he's got a special suit from men, ordered from Men's Warehouse for the occasion. They had his size on file, um, and he's giving this opening statement uh-huh. and. He basically tries to argue, okay, I know a lot about burglary. Maybe I even taught some people a few things about burglary. Uh, But the prosecutors have the wrong guy. So he he gives us, he's talking to the jury about Lynn. He's saying how many burglars there are. And then he says, you know, have many of you seen the new movie, The Town with Ben Affleck? Well, Lynn is a lot like The Town. It's full of burglars. And... (laughs) You know, the prosecutors just have the wrong one. And the, the reason he's got he's to gotta argue it this way, because the prosecutors have a copy of a how-to book that Murphy wrote in prison oh. called Master Thief. Oh. It's extremely incriminating. It doesn't say, I robbed Brinks, but it does. It's like O.J. Simpson, like, if I did it. Yeah. You know, it's giving advice, and it's saying, hey, don't cut too deep, like, when you're cutting through that vault door. Be real careful. Oh God. So Yeah. And he's got two of his two of his accomplices are testifying against him. So that the it doesn't look good for him, but he insisted on Murphy figured if I lose that trial, I'm not gonna get that many more years than I would if I pleaded guilty. So it's worth a try. And he he gave it a good shot. And he knew he knows a lot about the law. He's but he studies whenever he's in in prison and has uh new to the law and he's able to make motions and cite case law surprisingly well but 
it's it's just a very tough case, and I love he's cross examining one of his accomplices, <laughs> and as a as a you know he's speaking in the third person, which is what you do, but he's saying things like you know isn't it true that that you took Murphy's burglary course and then you became a burglar and that's why you did it, uh-huh. and then the accomplice is like no kid like we just smoked some weed and like you couldn't shut your mouth <laughs> like, and it, it goes on like this for for hours and hours it was like a two-day cross-examination they get into like his favorite muscle cars that he asked one of the guys that he's like isn't it true that the me the weed you sold murphy was kind of clumpy <laughs> like <laughs> what uh the judge really cuts him a lot of slack lets him go on all these tangents and yeah in the end, the jury convicted him all, on all counts. And uh, originally he was sentenced to 20 years, but after a successful appeal that he did, he got it reduced to 13. So he's going to be out in a couple of years? So Murphy says he'll be out next year because he, after that he recently reached a plea agreement on the Super Bowl heist. There's some disagreement. The prosecutors say that he still has many years to serve on his federal sentence, that the time that he served so far doesn't count. I wouldn't be surprised if the law was on Murphy's side. Like, he seems pretty sharp, and he's convinced he's going he's gonna to get out uh, next year. Zeke, is he a better attorney or burglar? Oh, <laughs> I think he – you know, I talked to this friend of his, who a friend of his who, was, uh, who said, you know, that Murphy – beat some charges for him. He, and I think he's a, seems like he's a pretty good attorney. Yeah. And one of the things I learned writing this story that surprised me is that most burglars are total morons. You know, this sort of like movie cat burglar type is very rare. You know, the bank robbers are mostly just guys who are high, who pass notes to the teller and say, you know, please give me some money. So in the world of burglars, he really is uh, top of the line. The problem is that you can't, just because you can break into a place and leave with the money and no one spots you that night, it doesn't mean you're going to get away with it. The key is actually more about not having anyone tell on you. And that, that, can, be, yeah. that can be tricky, yeah. Yeah. especially when you want people to know what a good burglar you are. Sure, sure. This seems headed for the big screen, Zeke. Well, Murphy would certainly... Would certainly like it to. He says it'd be just like the town, only better because he is a lot better at burglaries than than those guys. My fear is that he'll want to play his own part in the uh, in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> he, you know, he really wants he really wants Affleck. He says it's got to be uh, Ben uh, Affleck's the guy to uh, to play him. God. Well, this is tremendous. Uh, your work, your five thousand words in Business Week. You can find them online. Just superbly done, Zeke. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on and sharing with us the story of Sean Murphy from Lynn, Massachusetts. Thank you so much for being on Mitch Unfiltered. Thanks a lot, Mitch. Wow, wow, wow. How about that story? Sean Murphy, Lynn, Massachusetts. Cat burglar turned Super Bowl ring thief turned Brinks Depot heist and now just where you'd expect him to be in a Massachusetts state penitentiary. Zeke Fox of Business Week magazine here on episode 100. I always look forward to my conversations with Jordan Flowers, even the ones on the golf course. Jordan, what's going on with the Kirkland office at Guild Mortgage these days? 
It is busy times right now, Mitch. Everybody is fielding calls left and right, doing pre-approvals for buyers, lowering people's interest rates, hoping people get cash for home improvement projects or paying off any debt. It is a busy time. People are setting records. Give us a sense of the real estate inventory, pending sales numbers. Can you tell us where we are in the midst of all this? Yeah, it's it's interesting what's going on right now. We weren't sure how it was going to play out with COVID coming in and uh, what people would be doing with listings and selling their home and buying, but it really has not skipped a beat. Uh, There might have been a little slowdown in March, but every realtor I'm talking to is expecting kind of a second spring market, and we're already seeing that in action. Inventory is sitting at about 1.8 months, which basically means if no new inventory came on, there'd only be about a month and a half of homes that could be purchased. So you're seeing a lot of offers, very competitive situation, prices escalating. So if you are thinking about selling, actually, it would be a great time to connect with your realtor, or if you want to get connected with some of the top realtors in town, please call me and I can connect people with them. doesn't hurt to find out what the property is worth right now and what you might be able to get for it if you've been thinking about selling and moving somewhere else. It's a great time. And Jordan, if I'm a buyer or if I'm looking at a refinance and I've got great credit, what numbers am I looking at at this moment for a 30-year fixed Yeah, again, all dependent upon down payment, credit scores, but we are looking in the high twos and low threes right now on a 30-year fixed. And if I want to learn more about any of the things that you just talked about, I can call you directly, right? Please call me directly. Somebody will answer in the office or you can call my cell phone directly. Cell phone is 425-890-2957 and the office line is 425-250-2957. Three one four five. Perfect. That's Jordan Flowers in the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage. Unfiltered. One of the oldest NFL teams could be could be on the brink of changing its name after decades of criticism. Washington Redskins head coach Ron Rivera says, "Quote: This issue is of personal importance to him, so he's working with owner Dan Snyder on possible replacement nicknames to Redskins." Quarterback Dwayne Haskins says he personally likes the Red Tails to honor the Tuskegee Airmen. Snyder has strongly resisted any change, but now he's under heavy pressure from some of the sponsors who pay the team's bills. That'll get your attention for how many years has redskins owner dan snyder been hearing that he needs to change the nickname of his franchise and for how many years has snyder been saying over my dead body well it looks like we are finally heading in that direction and i don't mean the dead body part ben standig is with us he's the athletics washington redskins reporter and he joins us now on the zeke's pizza hotline ben how are you uh, Mitch, I'm doing okay. I feel like I have whiplash because the news, not just with this team I cover, but really <laughs> with everything that goes on these days, moves very quick. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm hanging in there. Thanks for having me on. Now, before we begin, what's the story that I'm hearing from my producer about my former life as a radio producer in Washington, D.C. in the early 1990s and your and my paths crossing? Is that right? Yeah, that, that 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 is correct. Uh, you worked for uh, WTEM, which was like the original station that had where Tony Kornheiser started his radio life, James Brown, uh, among others, James Brown, the, the, the TV announcer. You were pr- pr- producing his show. I listened to all those shows obsessively. 
I won't say I was growing up. I think I was already in my twenties or whatever, but like I was obsessed by, by the local sports radio. And uh, you once were the, the board op, I guess, when there was a contest going on, it was a, one of these deals where like you had to listen to an audio clip and guess who the person was. Ah. And I, based on the audio clip, and I think a hint or two from you, I think there was something, something along the lines of <laughs> a balding, a balding quarterback who went to Syracuse or something like that. I guess it was Todd Philcock. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I got it right. And I think that won me like, like a gift certificate or something at the time, you know, pretty cool. But what I didn't realize was that it entered me into some sort of a contest for there was like uh, back in the day, they used to have a celebrity slam dunk contest yeah. and it entered me into this. And one day I get a call from somebody telling me that I won uh, you know, all expenses paid trip basically to go to this event. And so I went out there with a friend of mine and this was like Mike Powell right, right after he had set the long jump record was out there. Herman Moore, Neil O'Donnell, Dick Vitale was out there. Where was so it? All this, uh, all, I, I, I owe you because you get, you, I figured out your clues of that it was Todd Philcox. <laughs> well, I got, there's actually a funny PS to that story. Where was this slam dunk contest? Uh, like Phoenix, Arizona, Scottsdale. Okay. All right, so you we flew you out. It's funny that you mentioned that because that's Washington, D.C. in the 1990s. And then I came out here, and I was on radio here in Seattle for 25 years. And when I first came out, we had a big promotional meeting at some point, really early, like 1995, 96, in which everybody was like, we need an idea. We need a, a contest idea that, that ties in listening. And, and I said, I got one. What if we do something called the mystery celebrity voice? And they said, well, what's that? And I said, well, we did this in Washington, D.C. We play a tiny, tiny clip of a sports personality or a personality. We get we take guesses and then each day or each show or each week we keep adding to the voice. Right. We play a longer and longer and that forces people to listen. Everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And for many years here in Seattle. Thanks to me, I brought it with me long distance from Washington, D.C. We did something called the Mystery Celebrity Voice. There you go. And you're the first winner. You're the, the, you're the origin of it, Ben. Amazing, yes. So thank you uh, very very much for that. I, it, was, it was a fantastic trip, and I'll always remember that. Uh, okay, there are some obvious differences, Ben, between the current climate in this country that has made this deal for Danny Snyder kind of non-negotiable and it's translated into some real financial difficulties for the organization and some real financial pressure that he's under. Just describe it to all of us listening in our audience that hasn't followed it as closely as you have. Well, I mean, look, I, you know, in terms of the, the, the Washington Redskins team name, obviously it's a controversial name. This is not new. This has been a topic that's been brought up. You know, I, I basically remember it most of my life, but really, it really sort of picked up in the last I'd say, you know, 10 years or so uh, where, where this became a topic that a lot of people started uh, various uh, websites, newspapers and so on. stopped using the, the name columnists, you know, wrote, you know, opinionated uh, columns, politicians talked about it. But really, from the money front, there wasn't a lot of pressure going there. And I think in part because it was always an isolated incident. It was just this name. And as long as Dan Snyder wasn't feeling pressure from the league, from sponsors, from ticket, from season ticket holders or what have you, nothing ever happened, obviously. And really nothing has changed on this topic. And yet here we are where now the team is announcing they're going to put this, put the name under review. And I think the, the, the single two reasons are this, or really the one reason is this. 
that this time the, the Washington team name was connected to a much larger conversation happening in this country that really obviously started with the murder of George Floyd that you know, led to multi, uh, several uh, Minneapolis police officers charged in that. And that has sparked an array of changes. Obviously, there's the state flag in Mississippi that, that was voted to change, which seemed you know bonkers to hear that that, that that could happen and other things. And I think the Washington Redskins team name got caught up on that. And Dan Snyder, he, he has not been interested in doing anything about this, but clearly the sponsors had a different view finally. We, well, last uh, Thursday, FedEx, which is the title sponsor for the stadium, they put out a statement saying, we are requesting they change the name. This is also the, the CEO and founder of FedEx is also one of the minority owners for the team. And then the next day, Snyder put out a statement through the, through the Washington team saying, uh, we're going to put this under review. And it really just goes to show this. so much is changing in this country. Relatively speaking, a small example, it's a big, big change here, but it just goes to show really what is happening in our country right now. This larger conversation is moved in so many ways, and I really do think it, it, it grabbed a hold of the uh, Washington Redskins team name. Ben, isn't there a subplot to this that involves the piece of land where the old RFK stadium sits and where Dan has he visualize he envisions building a new stadium on that parcel of land is that involved in all of this absolutely i mean yeah one of the subplots just in general is the idea of, of building a new stadium the fedex fields it's really not considered to be uh it is considered to be one of the worst stadiums i mean it's like a very just generic stadium it's in the middle of suburban maryland kind of nowhere i think people would prefer that the, the team go back to playing in in Washington D.C. Uh, the the old RFK site where they played under the Joe Gibbs era when they were the three time Super Bowl champions. That that stadium is not, nothing happens there anymore, and and it's a perfect location for for a lot of people to say this is where we want to put the new stadium. However, it's technically on federal land, not technically it is, and the federal government as well as the D.C. government has, has said to said to the team, hey, if you're going to keep this name, you know, forget about it. Um, and one of the things that's really interesting about this whole situation is, you know, if Dan Snyder had just on his own decided he was going to go do this for whatever the reason, he was moved, you know, on, on some sort of moral, ethical level, whatever it is, to, to, to do the right thing, you know, he could have just done this. But in the way it's happening now, I mean, assuming that he's, you know, a businessman, I mean, he is a businessman, but assuming he's a really good one, he's going to be able to get, I would have to imagine, a deal on this land to, to put the new stadium at the old RFK site. In addition to that, if they do build a new stadium in the nation's capital, I would presume there'll be a dome component to it. Just That's just my assumption. He turns then to Roger Goodell and says, hey, Kamish, we want a Super Bowl here. Put a Super Bowl in the nation's capital. That, that would be good for everybody involved. So, I mean, despite the fact that Dan Snyder may have gone kicking and screaming to this moment, he's ultimately going to, I think, benefit significantly from this, assuming he doesn't you know, somehow bungle this along the way, which granted – I won't assume couldn't happen, but it feels like he's going to come out a, a winner, even if right. he had to, you know he got to this point by people kind of dragging him there, or really by society kind of dragging him there. Roger Goodell, you mentioned the commissioner. There are lots of people like myself, Ben, who wonder why the league in all of these years never stepped in and said, "Change the name, Dan." Uh, why never did that happen? And, and you know, I think this is just a good broad point, and everybody wants to jump on Snyder, totally get it. He's the one that could, you know, easily sort of start this process. But a lot of people kept their, you know, kind of covered their eyes throughout this process. Like I said, FedEx made a statement last week. That's great. They never made a statement before publicly. 
you know, all, all these retail stores now, Walmart, Target, what have you, are now all saying they're going to take the, the Washington Redskins gear off their shelves or off their websites. Nike did the same recently. Cool. Where was this at any other point? Nobody did this because for whatever the reason, it wasn't a priority to them. The team is still one of the it is one of the most valued franchises in all of professional sports. I believe I think I saw something on that said on Forbes valued it as like the fifth most um, uh, expensive franchise from a merchandise merchandising standpoint. The Washington uh, Redskins still do tremendous business, so there was no you know impetus on on the pure dollars and cents side for anybody, including the NFL, apparently. To, to do anything now, I guess it reached a point. Like I said, I think the the conversation in this country has changed dramatically, and it wasn't just one incident. It was so many things being tied together that well, I mean, one incident may have started this whole thing. But it, in terms of the Washington football team, it wasn't just in isolation. They were connected to a larger thing, and I think, like I said, the NFL sponsors that they could no longer keep their eyes covered anymore. That they, they saw what what was happening, and, they, and I think they helped push this you know finally after all these years next two questions ben when will this happen will it will it happen before the beginning of the following even if there is a i'm not sure there'll be a beginning of the next season will it happen before the season starts and what do you think the next name will be i'm sure there are a lot of options out there red tails i've seen yeah so uh ron rivera came out the other day in an interview and said he he wouldn't mind getting you know seeing this done before the season starts and i know i've heard some other people say that as well now, putting aside the issues that people have with the name, in terms of from the organization standpoint, this is a brand name change. You've got to, you can't just throw something out there. I mean, you know, you were obviously in the D.C. area. The Washington Wizards were, used to be the Washington Bullets, and we can discuss, you know, we can, that's another topic, but why they switched it. But they went to a name Wizards, has nothing to do with the area. It's incredibly generic. And because that team doesn't win, it it just has turned them invisible on some level. The, the name means nothing. And, and, and the Washington Redskins could become that team if they just make a rush decision. Now, based on what I've heard, Dan Snyder has shown zero interest in this name change before. Therefore, while I'm sure there have been studies done on some level, I don't know how engaged he was in this topic prior to the last several days or maybe even the last couple of weeks. So I would hope they would take their time, think about what's necessary, go through the proper steps, surveys, uh, you know, marketing studies, think about it, talk to the fans, talk to the community, whatever you need to do. You can come out today, tomorrow, before training camp and say, hey, we're committed to making this change. We believe it's the right time to do it. We believe in, 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 in moving on from this Native American imagery that we, you know, hopefully, you know, they would probably say we celebrated throughout the years and move on. But you don't have to rush it for, for week one. Obviously, this, there's so much going on right now in the country with COVID-19 and who even knows about this NFL season. But I don't think you really have to, to rush it on that front. Now, as far as the contenders, every name sounds weird to me, right? Uh, so right now, because I'm used to what I'm used to. In, in recent time here, Adam Schefter, I guess, has said that He's headquartered sources. They're going to go away from the Native American imagery. To me, that obviously opens up to a lot more possibilities. Warriors was the name that was being mentioned a lot by people. I think if they kept the Native American imagery, but to me, that sounds incredibly generic. And you also have Golden State, not to mention half the high schools in the country. So to me, that one's not interesting. Red Tails is one that has been mentioned a bunch. There's a connection to the Tuskegee Airmen. Uh, Ron Rivera recently mentioned the team would like to honor not just Native Americans, but also the military. So there's some connection there. The R would allow them to keep so much of their 
imagery already. Uh, you know, hail to the red tails could be the song. HTTR is the popular hashtag. So something like that would make some sense. But hopefully, like I said, if, if for me, they take their time, they think about it. They don't just rush it just because they're under some heat right now. Yeah, but they're not going to do it in the middle of a season. They're either going to do it before opening day or do it in the following offseason. They wouldn't change the name in the middle of an NFL football season, right, Ben? Yeah, no, right. I mean, I, I think if it's me, I think you have the conversation. I mean, at some point, Dan Snyder is incredibly camera shy. He never gives interviews. At some point, he needs to come out and, 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 ha- and speak to somebody. I mean, you know, I'll give him my number if he wants it. But he needs to have a conversation with somebody and just sort of say, look, here's how he got to this point. And as long as you commit flat out to doing it, I mean, they pretty much already have by saying it's under review. You can't go backwards at this point. But just we're going to get this done for, you know, logistical reasons. It's probably not realistic to have this done by week one, even if they announce today that they're what the exact new name is. I don't know how realistic that is. So just we're going to do it. We're going to go through the proper steps. We're going to get there. We're committed to doing this. We want to do it right. So we have a name people can be proud of. And, you know, we'll figure it out. Then, yeah, by 2021, the, the new team will be called the Washington something. Is he popular with anybody, Ben? Is he one of the most, if not the most, universally disliked owner in professional sports? Or uh, I'm not there anymore. I was there once. It just seems like there's no group that likes him. No. I mean, I was, I was going to make a joke like I assume if he has a dog, the dog likes him um, type of thing. I, I don't know. Uh, here's the thing, my, my take. As somebody who grew up here and who lives here, I understand why nationally people are highly offended by the name, and I totally get it. I'm not discounting that. But locally, it's not – I don't think people really view it in, the, in that way. We, it's just part of, part of the community. It's the, the, the name and all that. So I get it. But it is, it, it's interesting to watch the passion, the, the anger that people have over this. I really think a lot of it stems not just from the name. I think a lot of it stems that people don't like the owner. And on top of that, they've just been a complete bungling situation for most of his uh, two decades running it. If they, if, if, if instead of Dan Snyder, it was a, a you know a, a more celebrity owner, a more popular owner, and this team had been winning, maybe not to the degree that they were the Joe Gibbs era, but just you know winning, being competent. I'm not saying that we still wouldn't have gotten here now because the name is the name, and you know the momentum for change in this country is is obvious. But I don't know if the anger would be still there. I really just think people it, – it's just such an easy target because of him, because this team has been – this franchise has been bungling for years. And, again, obviously the name is what it is. But I, I really do think Dan Snyder's lack of, uh, lack of fans uh, in any way, shape, or form really does, has, has really been a driving factor in this as well. Who won the slam dunk contest in Phoenix, Ben? <laughs> you know what? Uh I, I, I'm not even positive. I was as we're having this conversation. I'm thinking I need to go. I need to go Google this. I, I'm, I think I remember that Mark Henry, who was like a, in the WWE at one point, like the world's like yeah. strongest man. Yeah. He was there too. And I think he brought the house down and maybe the backboard okay. when he dunked because he's not exactly the, the kind of guy you would think a dunk. Yeah. But I don't think he won the contest. I was going to say Mike Powell, okay. but maybe it was Mark Henry because I do remember him dunking, and that okay. was pretty impressive. Well, I can say for sure that on this episode 100 of Mitch Unfiltered, the name Todd Philcox was uttered, and I can promise you that name has not been uttered on any podcast in the last probably. It's not even it's not even uttered in his own ha- home, in Todd's home. So the fact that, that he got his name in here is pretty good. 
Todd Philcox, <laughs> the old the old quarterback, the backup to Don McPherson, and then the starting quarterback of the Syracuse Orangemen back when I went there. Anyway, Ben Standig is uh, our guest of the Athletic. He covers the Redskins very well and the Wizards, the aforementioned Wizards. You can follow all of his work online, and of course, follow him on Twitter. Ben, thank you. It's great to catch up with you, and it's fun to hear some old reminiscing about the. The James Brown, Tony Kornheiser days at WTEM in Washington. Thank you for being on. Mitch, thanks for having me. It's great to hear all your success out there and uh, have a great one. Be safe. Ben Standig of The Athletic, the Washington Red Tails. What do you think? I kind of like it. And even more after I read all about those airmen in World War II, wouldn't be difficult to appreciate that name change in our nation's capital. So let's catch up with my guy, the CEO of Evergreen Golf Call. Tyler Hay is with us. Tyler, thanks for being back. Are you guys slowly back to normal now and returning to the offices? You know, it's been kind of an interesting time for everybody, I'm sure. But for Evergreen, it's been challenging to both manage dealing with your home life, your family life, your work life. But one silver line that's come out of this is the use of technology for us. We've been pushing our clients and begging them to do virtual meetings for years and there's been kind of a pushback. No, I'll come in the office. I'll, I'd like to see you guys. And and so in some ways, this has actually advanced our ability to communicate in a little bit more efficient way for clients. So no, that's been, that's I guess that's a silver lining if I could find one. You know, it's really a confusing financial time, Tyler, for so many. What kinds of questions are your team being asked by your clients and those of us without managers? What should we be asking ourselves? The thing that we probably get asked the most is how do we play this COVID world? Should we be buying airlines? Should we be buying hotels? Should we be buying casino stocks, the ones that have been battered? And I think there's a lot of people that are looking for opportunity because it's obviously presented itself through volatility in the markets. On the flip side, you have other clients saying, how do I avoid things like airlines? How do I avoid things like hotels? How do I avoid stuff that's going to be negatively impacted by by COVID-19. And I think probably the hardest thing is the answer is, I don't know, right? I mean, if something was to come out, a vaccine, a therapeutic, you know, you'd want to invest one way. If it doesn't come out for years, you'd want to invest another. And so I think that being diversified and also being nimble is probably the best tool investors could be using. Which brings us to your newsletter. I saw just this morning a likes and dislikes piece on your website. Tell everybody about this free newsletter that's available on a weekly basis and and its origin. Sure. So we write it every Friday, and so 52 times a year, and it's really effective for two things. One, if you're having trouble sleeping and you want some heavy financial literature <laughs> to read, it can really be a great sleep aid. <laughs> And then second, for people that follow the markets and are looking for kind of some guidance and some perspective, we think that we try to to give people some tools to help make decisions around their portfolios. What is the best way to figure out whether a wealth manager is a good idea for us, Tyler, and in particular, Evergreen Golf Call? Sure. I mean, I think that there are kind of two questions that people should ask when they're thinking about, do I need a wealth manager? The first one is, do you have the time? to do it yourself. It's not a hobby, right? It's people's real money. And I think that it takes a kind of a full-time commitment to it. So first you have the time. And then the second question is really, do you have the aptitude to do it? And I think that those are the two questions that people should be asking. If the answer to either one of those is no, then I think you should be calling a wealth manager. And when you're calling a wealth manager or, or someone to help you out, I think probably one of the questions that people should be asking is, 
how have you done in, in up markets? How have you done in down markets? I think that there's a tendency for someone to say, hey, show me your performance. And, you know, you thought about somebody who's managing money the last 10 years pre-COVID-19, everybody looked pretty good. So I think trying to evaluate somebody and how they've done through kind of a full, what we call a full market cycle is probably the best way to do it. And the first step for you guys is to go to evergreengk.com and fill out the client compatibility survey. Is that right? Exactly. That helps us figure out what type of investor they are and if they're suited for kind of wealth management. I mean, I think that you know, we're pretty honest with people and have said to people, you know, you're not really a candidate. Either you have, like you said, the skill to do it yourself or something like that. So we really try to find clients that are good fits. Tyler Hay, the CEO of Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Bubba plus one for the day, and he better get out of the way because Bryson's back on the tee. He had one of those protein shakes, so he's fueled up. <laughs> <laughs> Look at how high that ball is teed up. All right, we're ready. T minus three, <laughs> two, <laughs> and one. Wow. Let's just watch this for the win. So the reborn Bryson has his sixth that's career awesome title. Enough. I think he's just a prick. He's arrogant, guy. That's that's my take. He's arrogant. He's condescending. And as Mike has said to me by text, he does think he's the smartest guy in enter every room to which he enters. I'm trying to enjoy my time out there and play golf in the best way possible. Yet I'm sprinting in between every single shot because sometimes playing partners and uh, caddies don't walk at the necessary speed that they need to. If you catch me out at uh, my normal golf course, I'll be playing in two and a half hours. I hate playing golf. I absolutely hate it. But when people start talking to me about slow play and how I'm killing the game, I'm doing this and that to the game, that is complete and utter you-know-what. That's not fair. There's just no question that the talk of the golf world at the moment is not a certain 15-time major championship winner who will finally reappear this week at Jack's Memorial Tournament. Instead, we've got a bulked up mad scientist who's hitting 380 yard drives, overpowering golf courses and accusing cameramen of hurting his brand and violating his privacy by videoing him after a poor shot. It makes me wonder what does Hawk think of all of this? He's one of the most colorful and interesting golf writers, talkers in America. He's been so for 20 years. The Morning Reach, John Hawkins, is on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. How are you, Hawk? I'm doing well, partner. How are you doing? Good to have you. You called, him a, you called him a pretty bad word at the start of your last podcast. And as George Carlin would have said on television, you can prick your finger, but you can't finger, well... You're, you know what I mean. Actually, you know, Carla was wrong. You can do the second one. But, um, <laughs> well, look, a lot of talk surrounding Mr. DeChambeau. He's a very nice player. Uh, he's won six times in a relatively short period of time. He's, he's now won more tour events than Ricky Fowler's won in 10-plus years. So he's a good player. I mean, there's no taking that away from him, and there, nor is there any – uh, desire to, at least uh, from from me. I, I think he 
I think he's kind of a brat. I think he uh, he's kind of a poor sport. I, I mean, I've heard stories, uh, but the fact of the matter is that he's a professional golfer, and he's a good one, and we have to respect that. Uh, but there's a certain decorum that goes with the job. Part of the job description, according to the PGA Tour, is that you you treat everybody with with respect, not only your fellow competitors, but everybody from the standard bearer to uh, to a fan who's been waiting an hour for your autograph. And um, I just don't get the sense that, that DeChambeau is, is all that much with the program, so to speak. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, he's not the first one. He won't be the last. He's got plenty of time to, uh, to write his ways, but I can't help but think back to the situation uh, last summer when he was uh, accused of slow play and he fought it I was there that afternoon in New Jersey and he was uh, he was in full denial he would come around perhaps after speaking with his agent he realized this was a no win that that when you take two and a half minutes to hit a chip or a a flop shot whatever it was uh, uh, then you stand guilty so we live with him and he he should maybe try to live with us a little bit better, but uh, there's plenty of room to coexist. He's a good player. He's going to be on the Ryder Cup team. He's going to win a lot of golf tournaments. He may win a major this year. So yeah, uh, he's part of the picture. Look, I'm also having a difficult time liking Bryson DeChambeau, but as a golf lover, anytime a colorful guy comes along, villain, hero, or just polarizing. I'm all in, Hawk, because it brings attention and discussion to the game that I love. Is that overly simplistic? I don't think it's overly simplistic. I mean, I think that you always... Bryson DeChambeau tends to generate controversy. And if you're in the media, you have no aversion to that whatsoever. In fact, you may, you may like it and welcome it. The situation with the cameraman is a good example. If he, he says, you're hurting my brand, don't hurt my brand, well... Bryson uh, has a tendency to consider himself the smartest man in every room he enters, and that's just really doesn't matter that much even if he were. When you accuse a cameraman of hurting your brand after messing up a bunker shot, that's not the cameraman's fault, obviously. I mean, this is like kindergarten stuff. But as it relates to to the media, you know, I, I... he, he's not really any different from Patrick Reed. He makes waves. He, he moves the needle yeah. uh, conversationally. And uh, I think if you're, if you're, whether you're part of the press corps or you do TV or, or, or a podcast or radio, you, you welcome the idea to discuss people who aren't like everyone else. There's plenty of guys who fall, fall straight off the cook, cookie cutter. This isn't one of them. Right. He's a smart guy. And this bulking up was obviously a great idea for him, but it makes the three through six irons obsolete. He makes them obsolete. Heck, I don't know if he even hit a seven iron all week in Detroit. You wrote last Thursday, chicks dig the long ball, and so do old guys like me, but when somebody is driving it into a greenside bunker at a 380-yard par four, splashing out and tapping in for birdie, that's not really golf. This was my version of the apocalypse, an unavoidable notice that our great game, at least the way tour pros play it, needs to be fixed as soon as possible. What do you think the USGAs of the world will do or can do? Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, I, I, I couldn't 
I mean, what what should they? Well, I think that at some point we'll have a a rollback on the distance the ball can travel. Uh, I think the the ball is central to the to the uh, notion of change. Nicholas has been saying it for years, Mitch, that that you need to look at the ball, not so much the clubs. Uh, but this is a this is an unusual circumstance. We're talking about a guy who's bulked up considerably. He's added what forty pounds of muscle. He swings as hard as he can. He hits it pretty straight. Just to me, I thought my eyes told me that there was something wrong here, that against a weak field, he was clearly the best player for, for one primary reason, and that's because he hits the ball further than everybody else. Now, that's not a penalty. That's not a felony. But it makes the other aspects of the game somewhat obsolete, as I said in the column, the finesse Parts of the game, shot making, course management, all those things that we've come to expect and we attempt ourselves uh, sort of become uh, extinct in this in this era of bomb and gouge. And DeChambeau is merely the, the latest poster boy to sort of reflect that mentality, which I think is counterproductive to advancing the game. I want to ask you one more about DeChambeau and then get your thoughts on the Ryder Cup, Hawk. John Hawkins, the terrific John Hawkins, is with us. Are we are we safe to assume that if he's just fair with the putter, Hawk, in November and April at a magical place in Georgia, that he can't help but at least contend there? Maybe win? Well, I, I think he was probably going to contend or, or perhaps win there even before he bulked up. I think now his chances are much better. I'm sure he had that in mind when he was gulping down any one of those protein shakes or pumping iron. But, um, you know, it's important to lose, not, not to lose sight of the fact that he was a pretty good player before this. So I was talking to Jeff Rude, longtime golf writer, last night about it. And, you know, he wonders how long can his back hold up? I mean, his body wasn't built to – to be like that, uh, he probably avails himself more to injury now than before. But he's the smart guy. He he can make his own decisions. He's a big boy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, certainly, I think it's ridiculous that he's the favorite at all three majors. Uh, this, I mean, that's. I mean, he beat that. That was by far the weakest of the yeah. fields we've seen since since pro golf returned. But um, certainly, he's he's the hot guy right now and. Uh, I've always had a little bit of an issue with how the Vegas guys determine golf odds. I don't think they know the sport as well as they know the NFL or whatever else. But uh, in this case, you know, I just I, DeChambeau is going to factor at a lot of major championships. He does. He's a good putter, and now he hits it a mile. And uh, those two combinations often lead to many victories and a big old bank account. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, the players got their way, Hawk. No fans. They didn't want the Ryder Cup with no fans this year at Whistling Straits. It's been uh, postponed. The right move by the uh, the uh, the governing bodies, the PGA of America and the like? Well, I think it was the only move. Uh, it, it, look, think about it. Uh, of all the – and I covered mainstream sports for 12 years before switching over exclusively to golf, and I can't think of an event that relies more on – the galleries, the spectators to, to generate passion and emotion and, and, and really set the atmosphere for what is fairly rapidly become. I mean, when I say fairly rapidly, we're talking about a stretch of about 30 years. This thing has become, and, and it happened 
in in ten years, really. It, it became, if if not the biggest event in golf, certainly one of the biggest, and it's it's one of the bigger sporting events on the calendar to a lot of people. And I think without spectators on the grounds, it would be a it it, it doesn't defeat the purpose, but it. It curbs the the appeal so much that you really just have no choice but to wait. I mean, either side of the Atlantic, fans have so much to do with the passion and the emotion that we see from the players when they're in the team element playing match play for their countries or for their for their flag. And uh, it wouldn't be a complete waste of time, partner, but it but it wouldn't be nearly the same and I think the the right move was was made and I I I considered it a no-brainer. I think the players were just echoing what everybody was thinking uh really since since the new schedule came out. You can't be a fan of John Hawkins, you can't be a reader of John Hawkins like I am. I'm both without knowing your distaste for what's happened to the CBS broadcasts of golf each week. <laughs> I chuckle every time I hear you talk about it. Is Mickelson the next golf TV star? Is he the answer to the problem? Is he the next Tony Romo? And will they be able to get him to skip, I guess, the Champions Tour to climb up those 18th Tower steps and sit next to Jim Nance someday? Or is that a pipe dream? Well, I don't know if it's wishful thinking or or within the realm of possibility. I certainly think it's probably quite a bit of both, Mitch. I think uh, Mickelson... Enjoys talking about golf. He's he's very bright himself. Uh, he's a bit outspoken. He's not afraid. He's got the perfect persona for for the tower. And you know whether it's CBS or NBC or somebody else comes along, I think you're gonna. If Mickelson wants to do TV, he's gonna do TV. He's such a huge star. I mean that's the only reason Faldo is still in the booth. He, he doesn't say anything. And a lot of what he says is inaccurate. He's not prepared, but but he's won, he won a bunch of major championships, and he's got on paper he's got a lot of credibility. Never mind that he doesn't know any of the players or doesn't really address players at a personal level because he's incapable of it because he doesn't know them. Mickelson is different. Mickelson uh, knows the players inside out. He studies guys he plays with. He, I know this because I've known Phil for a very long time. Uh, he'd be perfect for it. Uh, Champions Tour, I don't see him doing that a whole lot anyway. Mm-hmm. There's certainly ways to work around it. He doesn't have to do every event. I think at some point when you when you consider, Mitch, that the CBS has, has a majority of the events, I don't know how many it is, but it's a lot. And they have them pretty much from, well, they have the West Coast Swing and then NBC has the Florida Swing and then it switches back to CBS really through until the end of the summer. And I don't know if Mickelson would want to make that kind of commitment. You'd have to give him a whole bunch of loot to even think about it. But uh, golf fans deserve better than what they're getting out of CBS right now. And I just think that Mickelson, or as my partner Mike Perkins said on our podcast, yeah. Paul, Goy- Paul Goyers would be a great yeah. one too. Yeah, but, would. I mean, they, they, so, sometimes people don't work out. Sometimes people – you know, they get in front of the camera and they're not the same guy. So it's a bit of wishful thinking, but certainly something that if I were doing anything higher than mopping floors in the <laughs> CBS building, I'd, I'd suggest strongly to the director, to the, to the chairman of the sports department, uh, or whatever Sean McManus is called, Yeah, I would suggest that they take a long look at, at somebody that's going to 
bring some flavor back to the telecast. The Grand Poobah. By the way, is it good for golf fans that the U.S. Open's back on NBC from Fox, or doesn't it matter? Oh, I think it matters. I, I mean, Fox got... Fox came in ill-prepared. Uh, it really hurt them. They only did it for five. It only did it for five years. I think there was a lot of criticism, but we know what we're getting with NBC. Tommy Roy's the executive producer of golf over there. He's been around a long, long time. He's very good at what he does, and I think it shows. Uh, telecasts. People who do telecasts are a little, little bit like umpires. You only notice them when they when they suck or right. when they're wrong. Right. But. Uh, NBC is, in my mind, clearly the best right now, and, and there's not a lot of competition. But, yeah, good move uh, to get it back on NBC. Morningread.com. I just love John Hawkins. I've loved him for a lot of years in a good way. I've loved him in a good way. I love listening <laughs> to him. I love reading him. Uh, last Thursday, he did a piece on Bryson DeChambeau. You should check it out. He's just terrific, and he's nice enough to be with us again on Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you, John. Thank you so much for being back on the podcast. We appreciate it very much. You're welcome, partner. Anytime. There's just no doubt that Bryson DeChambeau is the talk of the golf world. Do you like him? Do you not? I actually don't agree with Hawk's comparison to Patrick Reed. Seems like golf fans, for the most part, don't like Reed for so many reasons. DeChambeau, his rapid weight gain and supersized drives, has struck the right chord with many fans of the sport. And I, for one, approve of anyone that brings barroom discussion to the sleepy sport of professional golf. Okay, time to catch up with Zeke's president, Dan Black, on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Dan, what's the latest with our favorite spot for Northwest-style pizza and great craft beer? Summer's in full swing, so what people are tuned into right now is our summer beer lineup, which is full of sunny day, easy drinkers, good for patios, good to throw prowlers and cans in your cooler people are excited to be back on our patios and dining in a little bit tell us about that dining in and on the patios we're still at 50 percent maximum capacity for each one right which gives us quite a bit of seating between uh indoor and the patios and a lot of our dining rooms are indoor outdoor so they've got a garage door or something and so there's plenty of seating to be socially distanced and to feel like you're outdoors or to actually be outdoors and so in terms of COVID, people people want plenty of space and, and anything that's indoor, outdoor, or just purely outdoor uh, feels safe. We've, for the most part, got a lot of stuff in terms of seating that where people can come in and feel comfortable and safe and, and have a good time. What story do your numbers tell about the confidence of the Northwest to head back to restaurants, Dan? Yeah, people are dipping a toe in, you know, so it's not, it's definitely not gangbusters. A lot of people just have got used to to being pretty close to home. And frankly, a lot of people are out in the islands or summer places or lake and outdoors and, and doing stuff. So summer for dining in general in Seattle can be hit and miss and slow at times. And that's definitely the case this summer. But there's also people that are doing it. And uh, there's plenty of out people that are thankful to be around people again. And just sitting in a restaurant or a bar with other people is, is kind of a treat nowadays. And there's definitely plenty of people that are excited to do that obviously delivery is such a huge part of zeke's model assuming you are not as concerned with some of the spike in numbers because we can all download the zeke's pizza app and we're a click away from a craft beer growler at our door correct and uh it's been great to have dining rooms open again and and have that business back 
but takeout and delivery is still where the strength is. So that continues to be the strongest part of our business. And we continue to, to be excited about that. And we've been talking about beer for a long time. That continues to be the big theme, which is people are ordering a lot of pizza. People are ordering a lot of beer and uh, delivery and takeout is their preferred method for that for the most part. Dan Black, Zeke's Pizza president. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for being such a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Thanks, Mitch. Appreciate it. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. stuff segment three interviews i want to thank our zoom studio audience this is episode 100 and we did an extended segment number one yeah that was big a huge long segment number one with stories and of course some participation from all of the zoom audience members and we thank them for that this is the other stuff segment normally but it's kind of the stuff because we really haven't talked a lot about sports <laughs> right since this is episode 100 and we'll get back on 100p and 101 back to the normal routine would you like to kick off the other stuff segment adrian Wojnarowski. oh i don't know how you say his name I, Woj bombs call him Woj. he's in trouble been suspended by espn trouble for sending on the double a profane email to missouri senator josh hawley yes he did the suspension between one and two weeks. Woj, who was supposed to travel to Florida soon, is still expected to be part of ESPN's coverage of the NBA's restart from Orlando. Just do you know why he did that? Yes, I do. And I, I don't know if, does, if everyone knows. I mean, I can read the the whatever Holly said that that pissed Woj off. Well, I can just summarize it for okay. you. Uh, Holly is a Missouri senator. Yep. Who was upset with the NBA because the NBA is allowing. The, the players, once they restart in Orlando in the bubble, to have a statement on the back of their jerseys, mm-hmm. a, uh, a, you know, a social justice statement. But apparently the NBA is telling them what they can do, what the there's like three or four that they can do. Yeah. And there's some. And so Josh Hawley, is it Josh? Is yeah, his first uh, name? Yeah, yeah. Josh Hawley, the senator from Missouri, is upset that the NBA is putting parameters on what messages players can wear on the backs of their jerseys. He says they should be able to wear back the blue or support our troops or God bless America. Free Hong Kong was another one. Free Hong Kong. So he wrote that to the NBA and Woj got a a load of that and said F you, but he didn't use, he used the full word. He sure did. And now he's been suspended by by ESPN. Notice ESPN didn't part ways with him because that guy can pretty much write his own (laughs) ticket, can he? I think ESPN needs him more than he needs them. So just a little suspension. We're not letting him go. We should get to the Quentin Dunbar story, which is really Ooh. disheartening for a lot of reasons in yes. Seahawks fans. It took a major turn for the worse. Uh, my projection with you over and over again was that he was going to be either found innocent or not guilty of charges or the charges were going to go away. Yep. When I heard when I heard that the witnesses, okay, the witnesses, those that were impacted at that party had changed stories and they were flip-flopping their stories. I just thought that there was no case to be made by the DA of Broward County in Florida. Everybody knows the Quentin Dunbar story by now. Do I have to, I don't have to repeat no, I that. Think people know, yeah. Well, this week, really bad news. Broward County DA alleges that the four or five men that changed their version of the story, which led to optimism for Seahawks fans, and I guess Giants fans too with the other guy, that they were paid off $55,000 in the office of the Dunbar attorney, Michael Greco, who we've had on the show. 
He was a guest on Unfiltered to change their story, that they were paid off to change their story. Yeah. And the DA of Broward County says not only were they paid off, but we have all kinds of evidence. We have surveillance. We have video. Oh. We have surveillance video. We have documents. We have elevator video. So there's apparently a huge trail uh, from somebody. And it wasn't, by the way, I'm not suggesting that it was the attorneys that paid them off. No, that, that's the, not what I read at all. Yeah. The notion is, is that these guys, these football players, the giant guy and Quentin Dunbar, the Seahawks, have have a friend, have kind of a ringleader who was at the party. They call him Coach. Coach. Yeah. Right. And he decided to take matters into to make this right and take matters into his own hands. And he he raised this fifty five thousand allegedly raised this fifty five thousand dollars. Told these four guys who got robbed at the party to come into Greco's office. Paid them $55,000. Apparently, Greco was not there when that happened. And then they decided to change their change their story, which you don't need me to tell you looks horrible yep. for all involved and attorneys, non-attorneys, players. It now looks really, really bad for Quentin Dunbar. Baker's attorney, Bradford Cohen, tells everybody that um, he did not pay anyone off, period, denying all of the new allegations. So... We'll see where this goes. Well, he's denying what allegations? That, it, that it, they were paid off or that he had something to do with them being no, paid No, that off? the witnesses were, that were paid at all. No, nobody was paid off for anything. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Well, yeah. I hope he's right. <laughs> yes, I am. So God, I. I hope he's right. But uh, because I hate to be wrong about something else. I just can't. Yes. I, my track record just can't, can't take another beating. Anyway, that's the Quentin Dunbar story. Oof. Uh, by the way, the good news is he has been granted permission. I don't know if this is good news for anybody, but he's been granted permission to travel from Florida to Seattle to be a part of training camp oh. or whatever it is that you do during the pandemic. Yeah. So he's allowed to tr leave the state of Florida and come to Seattle. But certainly his situation now and his long-term viability becomes very murky with the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. Very, very, very muddy. Anyway. A radio host for WSMN 1590 in Nashua, New Hampshire. Am I Nashua. Saying? Nashua. All right. Yeah. Went on a vile racist tirade against a group oh, no. of workers doing their job because she because they dared to speak Spanish. And it's, it's it's almost unbelievable when you see the video. She says, speak English like 30 times. She's just yelling <laughs> at these workers. Yeah. And finally, an African-American man who happened to be having lunch nearby was sick of listening to it came over and barked back at her and said, you know, what are you, why are you harassing these guys? And she went off on him and she's since been fired. Of course, you could course. see how that's going to go, but people yeah. are flipping out and I just can't believe she had a job in radio and I didn't. That's the, <laughs> that's the craziest part of the whole story to you me. You just told us that you were making <laughs> fart jokes the whole, the last this 20 years. This lady gets paid. She's been in radio this whole time and I, <laughs> my phone never rings. Good Lord. Maybe you can replace her. <laughs> they have my resume already. I, I sent that yesterday. That's a short piece of paper. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I made a paper airplane. Oh God. All right. Where am I going next? Eminem's new song? Do you have that on your list? I don't. Yeah, I don't. I'm not an Eminem fan. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I'm a big fan. But he, I like the duet that he did with Manilow years ago. Well, he did uh, do a duet with Elton John, as a matter not, of fact. Not Manilow. Uh, no, he didn't do Manilow. No. no, no. He's got a new song out where he says "F Drew Brees." Oh, I did see that headline. Yeah. 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 It's a lyric of his new song. So <sighs> getting on the New Orleans Saints quarterback for all of his, all of his views, his political views. Anyway, I thought I mentioned that. Yeah, are you really not a fan of Eminem? You don't know any of his songs? Lose nah, Yourself? Nah. Awesome. I don't know Eminem. I mean, I know who All he right. is. I can picture him. He, 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 it's funny. <laughs> quick story. He was in a group called D12. It's like his buddies from Detroit, all right? Yeah. yeah. And D12. Is his last name Mathers? Yes, Marshall Mathers. Yeah. D12 had one hit. 
and it was called the purple something or other. So the word was D12 got booked for Cube 93 Summer Jam. Yeah. And everyone is like, oh, Eminem's going to show up. I mean, this, these are his guys. <laughs> Eminem's going to show up with right. D12. No, I sure didn't. <laughs> I told everyone, are you crazy? Oh. Short of a million dollars. He ain't coming, oh. dummies. All right, am I up? You're up. U.S. runner was briefly thought to have beaten Usain Bolt's record in the 200-meter race, the 200-meter, but it turns out he started from the wrong spot. <laughs> so, Noah Lyles, 22, running alone on a track in Florida against competitors in Europe as part of the Inspiration Games, yeah. finished his run in 18.9 seconds, which was thought briefly to have broken Usain Bolt's record of 19.19 seconds in 2009. Yeah. Organizers quickly discovered, however, that Lyles had started from the wrong lane and had only run <laughs> 185 meters. The poor guy, he, he, he set out, you can't be playing with my emotions like this. Got me in the wrong lane, shaking my so head. So he would not be the athlete of the week, right? No, But here's guy. your athlete of the week, a I'm guy ready. by the name of, well, there's, there's co-athletes of the week. It's okay. kind of a tragic story. I'm sure you've seen the video by now. If you haven't seen the video by now, you got to see it. The story of Philip Banks, 28 years old, a former football high school star in Kalamazoo, Michigan, U.S. Marine, and his buddy D'Artagnan Alexander, actually not his buddy, D'Artagnan Alexander from the same story. You know the story? Yeah. Woman in a in a in a, an apartment building, third floor apartment building in flames. It was in blazed. Yeah, it was bad. You've seen the video. I, I couldn't bring myself to watch the video because I know oh, she perished. She did. Yeah. She threw her baby down three floors and he was walking out of his apartment, not the same building, a different apartment, and saw that she had the baby in his hands, ran over. She dropped the baby. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. He comes running over a diving. When I say an unbelievable shoestring diving catch to save this baby from hitting the ground, the baby was this close. I got I got two inches from yeah. hitting the ground. He, he, he dove head first and caught this baby. And then another guy by the name of D'Artagnan Alexander, Alexander, a barber, nearby barber, was walking by, saw everything, also found out after this baby was thrown down that there was another young daughter in the building with oh, her. I don't know this He part. ran into the building, oh, into the flames, found the daughter, got her out of there, got her to the hospital. The sad part is, is that the mother passed away yeah we love football players philip banks and d'artagnan alexander are our athletes of the week a couple of heroes yeah a couple of heroes yeah all right one more quick little small one i saw that another mls team has pulled out i don't know if you saw this or not. i remember the dallas team pulled out well the seattle sounders played a game the other night well the nashville sc of the mls has dropped out of the mls's back tourney okay i told you dallas pulled out last week but this might be a thing a harbinger of things to come yeah teams are just going to get ravaged and say we can't do it and then we saw buster posey he backed out right yeah because he has two new kids that they adopted that have uh, compromised health it's gonna be interesting to see who shows (laughs) up for these games it's gonna be interesting well what's the difference between pulling out and playing to a tie a zero zero tie like the sounders did the other night well, <laughs> I'm no soccer expert, but I think you get points if you get a tie, I, I think. So I think it is worth it. Yeah, they played They played the other night. I don't know who they played, but it was a 0-0 it was a zero, zero tie. That doesn't sound like the soccer I yeah. remember. Richard Sherman is barking again. Your friend Richard Sherman, number 25 of the San Francisco 49ers. He's mad that the NFL has decided there will be no jersey exchange celebrations at the end of NFL football games anymore. Did you hear this? Yeah, I, I hate to kind of agree with him, though. I hate to agree with Richard Sherman, but I kind of agree with him. Go on. Well, he says, really hypocritical, 
perfect example of NFL thinking in a nutshell. Players can go engage in a full contact game and do it safely. However, we're not allowed to exchange jerseys after we beat the hell out of each other in a game. I don't disagree with him on that. What's the difference at that point, right? If we're going to actually go play football and be touching each other the whole time for you know, three hours that you tell me I can't exchange a jersey with a can't guy. Can't exchange a jersey. That's a little but silly. But you can block him and beat him up on the on the <laughs> field right. and s- jump all over him sweat and roll around yeah, in the mud right. with him. You can do all that, but you can't. Yeah, you can't exchange the jersey. Stick a finger in his mouth when you're when they're on the <laughs> on the pile down there. All right, we all know Deshaun Jackson was penalized by the Eagles this week. For yes, he was tweeting something stupid. Yes, he that was. He thought was a quote from Hitler. Which I don't, we've decided probably not a good idea when you see the word Hitler to just might want to just stay away from idea. that going forward. Yeah. Well, part of the statement from the team said uh, he understands that in order for him to stay on the team, he must also commit to supporting his words with actions. And one of those things was Deshaun. He had met with a 94-year-old Holocaust survivor on Friday in an effort to educate himself about the Jewish struggle. Here's what I would recommend to all of you that want to hear more about this story. Do you know the name Mitch Album? I, yes, I do. Okay. Yeah, um, he's uh, a Detroit sports columnist and a best-selling author. The Maury, what was yeah, that? Tuesdays with Maury. Tuesdays with Maury. Sundays yeah, yeah. with Maury, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Tuesdays with Maury. Uh, he wrote a column on Sunday, the day that we're recording this, on this particular story. Okay. You should read it. And he just nails it? I, in, my, in my perspective, he does. From where I sit, he does. Okay. And it's a very important column to read if you have the time. Read Mitch Album. I don't know if it's in the Detroit newspaper or where, but you'll find it online find very it. Yeah, easy. Yeah. Uh, Julian Edelman, by the way, a Jewish wide receiver for the New England Patriots. I don't know if you've heard of the New England Patriots. <laughs> Julian Edelman made an offer to Deshaun Jackson, his, I guess, colleague on a different team, wide receiver mm-hmm. of the Philadelphia Eagles. He offered to go to Washington, D.C. with Jackson, go to the Holocaust Museum, where I've been a couple of times, and the National Museum of African American History, and have those uncomfortable conversations. So Good. we'll see if Deshaun Jackson takes up Julian Edelman on his record. But read the Mitch Album story. I will. Which brings us to the end of episode 100. Or do we have one more? One last story. Although the list of oh, COVID God. symptoms keeps growing, <laughs> as of now, long-lasting erections uh, are not on it. But for this 62-year-old man, he not only experienced one, but a four-hour erection. We're talking about a 62-year-old man's erection to finish up episode 100. As we all know from Viagra commercials, we've all seen them. You're supposed to call your doctor if you have one that lasts more than four hours because it can, in fact, be dangerous. And it's a condition called priapism, according to the Mayo Clinic. Ew. Uh, As we all know, continuous blood flow to that area is, in fact, important. And when it's prolonged, there's a chance of tissue damage so they, we're laughing but it is a medical thing do you so see me laughing do not laugh look at, at this. my this face this is serious business you see my nose can you see my face from behind my nose when it, <laughs> <laughs> when it didn't fade even with an and ice and by the way I've had this for a lot more than four hours <laughs> <laughs> what's that condition called <laughs> when, when it when it didn't fade even with an ice pack on it yeah doctors drew blood from it for testing and they discovered he had blood clots down there Ooh. In his in his member, is it possible that I got? You should get that, it tested. <laughs> I'd like to reduce the size. Get some fluid out of they there. They call it ri- rhinoplasty. Oh yeah, rhino for a reason. Mitch Levy for the rhinoplasty. <laughs> Mitch Levy for the rhinoplasty. So blood clot, blood clots in general, they're a potentially dangerous side effect of COVID nineteen, and they've been found in numerous patients with the virus. Though they don't know why, he's since been placed on blood thinners. He has since recovered, and he was released from the ICU. And that's all there is to the story. Mm-hmm. That's it. Uh-huh. <laughs> imagine imagine being 62 years old 
things are working better than ever down there and everyone is afraid to be anywhere near you because of the COVID. <laughs> That's cruel. All right. Uh, I really hope this guy survives because, you know, had he have died, it may have been hard to close the casket. <laughs> if the man did sadly pass away, I wonder if he's an organ donor. And who knew that ice packs were a way to kill boners? I've always used marriage. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, That's all God. I got. I'm fresh out. Why do they call it rhinoplasty? It's not very nice. <laughs> it's not very nice at all. That is, I've always thought that was kind of funny. I think I saw a comedian do a joke. You're walking around with a big nose that you're ashamed to have and you don't like your nose. Yeah. And then you go in to fix it and they call you a rhino. I know. Exactly. You're already insecure yeah. enough about it. They got to call it rhinoplasty? I know. It's rough. Have you ever literally thought about getting a little reduction? I know Stern got a little reduction. I, I would say that... I probably would have been too much of a wimp to ever do it. For the surgery aspect? Just any just, surgery? I'm not a big surgery guy. I've only yeah. had surgery like, uh, well, outside of dental surgery, the, I had the Achilles surgery. I haven't uh, had many surgeries. And I'm a little worried. I'm a little scared about all that stuff. Yeah. But I can tell you what really kept me away from it, at least for a long time, and maybe I don't have to worry about that anymore, and that is the, I was always worried that my, my voice would change. That's why Barbara Streisand never had any work done. She said the same thing. Well, I would have been very upset if she had work done because <laughs> I love her nose. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Barbara Streisand would not be Barbara Streisand without the nose. Yeah. Mitch Levy, there's nothing about the nose that makes Mitch Levy. I can tell you that <laughs> right now. All right? I can be Mitch Levy without the hat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I was, always, I was always afraid that my voice would change and I wouldn't like my voice. or I don't like my voice now, but yeah. that, that I was always, okay. always worried being in this business. So there was, there was that. All right. Yeah, and I think at this point now, I've given up. Yeah, what's you the You get point to a certain point? age, yeah. you just like, what are you going to do? Look at me, for God's sake. <laughs> That's right. The nose is now the, just the tip of the bird. That's the iceberg. tenth thing wrong with you at this point. <laughs> hey, tenth? Thanks yeah. very much. All right, that's it. I'm I'm fresh out of stuff. Thank okay. you, everyone, for was it participating. A, was it a special episode 100 or not? Not felt, really. It felt special. We got everyone watching. Steve Dion's <laughs> here. It's a long here. episode. Is he? Yeah, you want to say hello to Steve or shit? He well, he's going to be very mad at me. This is going to take a long time oh. for me to get to him. Well, we better get going then. Okay. Let, let him get to work. All right, episode Wilt. Yeah. Episode well. Wilt? Yeah, of course. Yeah? Yeah. Was he the 62-year-old with the, the erection or he, not? He might have been. He might have been from the grave. Yes, it was Episode Wilt. Thanks, everybody, for paying attention all this time. Thanks for being a great, great uh, audience. Not only the audience that we have with us on Zoom, but the entire audience and all the patrons out there and everybody who has made uh, the first 100 episodes of Mitch Unfiltered possible. Thank you so much. Episode 100 is in the books.